Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season episode, season one, episode nine, titled Baylor. Man, I butchered that. Uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm so I'm shook up. Sir Ill in pain. So shook up by Ned's, Ned's poor beheading. Poor Ned. Poor honorable, stupid, stupid Ned. <laughs> Uh, Dishonorable in the end, I guess. I don't know. He he forsake everything he cared about. He even turned his back on his gods to save his daughters, and then it didn't work out for him. It's so it's so funny seeing watching this again with so much more of the back knowledge. As I got a lot of things like how much of a humiliation this was for Ned, and the fact that it mm-hmm. amounted to nothing. Um, so. I had, but the, but the the main thought swirling in my head as I was watching this is like I don't know that this is a stronger episode than the last two or three we've seen. Like if if you take the shock okay. of, and that's again like they cut off Ned Stark's head. I can't, you know, mm-hmm. that was such a huge shocking thing when I first saw it because I had not right. read the books. I was not expecting like to Sean Bean. He's the major star, not just of the show, but like you you know he's the biggest star of this whole production put together. Yep. And they cut his head off, not even in a finale as a cliffhanger, just like, fuck you, episode nine, boom, we'll deal, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, it was it was really, really crazy. Um, yeah, and I was actually thinking, like, about season one as a whole and trying to see, like, recontextualize it in, in how good it is compared to other seasons. Now, I haven't seen season two or three in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but season one, I remember, kind of blew me away, and... I think it was mostly on the back of this Ned thing. Sure. I I don't know that, like... It, it's not... I'm not saying season one is bad. I'm no. not saying it's n- not even not good. Uh, it's just, like, not knowing that that thing was coming up with Ned and he right. was going to be killed that way. Uh, man, it just gave... It, it kind of wiped away any sort of negative feelings I might have had about this season. Right. And replaced them with awe. Yeah, because it's such... It's such a fearless thing to do to yeah. like completely subvert the viewers' expectations and emotions like that, and kind of uh-huh. risky too because we've been trained that the good guys always win. Like we're bummed out when we go to a movie like Braveheart, and you know Mel Gibson gets his gut ripped, guts ripped out and beheaded, and the only victory <laughs> right. he gets is years later that he's not even going to know about. You know, uh-huh. um, the dead won't hear the songs. Sure, sure, <laughs> but but that was such such a shocker that they'd willing to commit that it makes you sit up straight and mm-hmm. what's funny is that it, the gamble paid off obviously because game of thrones is this worldwide phenomenon but yep. i i don't know that they knew that going in like that was probably risky I like think the, so. ask yeah. ask the audience to invest in this family and this character mm-hmm. and, and to build him up as this paragon and then to just chop his head off yeah matter of factly like everything i thought like you know there's going to you know, Varys is going to do something at the end. Like, they set up all these things where something maybe could have happened. Mm-hmm. But just for, like, you know, at the end of the day, the reason this good man died, and, like, you know, I say he's dumb and all that stuff, but he's he's still a good man. Yes. The reason he dies is because the whim of a 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. And that's, re- that, that's both tragic but also very cool from a storytelling perspective. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think back to when this actually aired and the kind of stuff that was on... I wonder if this was a much-needed change for television, if people were were not just really ripe for this sort of subversion. I think so, because uh, I can't think of... I can, you know, I'm trying to think of season one, something like this that's ever happened. Um, 
You know, the closest thing I can think of is like the best of both worlds in Star Trek, where there was a legit <laughs> cliffhanger that Picard might die, and and at the time mm-hmm. I remember reading in Starlog and other magazines that like that that was a contract year for Stewart, yeah, so like yeah. maybe this was an attempt to write him off, and like you you know my my twelve thirteen year old self's heart was just beating pitter pat at the fact that Picard might die. Right. This is like that, except for like, nah, we're just going to do it. Right. And I, I just wonder if that that excited audiences like. Obviously, it did. I mean, the, it seems generally that people were as a, as interested in this subversion as I was mm-hmm. uh, when I first saw it. Now, granted, I saw it a couple years into Game of Thrones, right? Um, but at the time, I was certainly ready for something different, mm-hmm. where the, the good guys just didn't win constantly. And it does seem like there was, you know, it's a little Empire Strikes Backy that you can already see in this episode the engines that could avenge him like okay well you got rob and he made had a great victory but then again danny mm-hmm. seems like she's in dire straits and cal you know that's the other thing it's not right. just ned there's a lot of things spinning out of the viewer's control it feels like like no 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 um but in game of thrones you know fashion they give you just enough hope that you're just not ready to slam the book against the wall or delete your you know se- <laughs> right. series pass or whatever you know uh-huh yeah, there there are other things to cling to, and I I certainly and am so... enjoying the rest of of what I've seen. Except maybe with the exception of Danny's plotline, I think it's getting a little a little repetitive in in its in certain scenes. Um, Danny's storyline repetitive, you say? Hmm. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure. I like how it's kind of just this endless cycle of I command something, people tell her that she's just a Khaleesi, she's nothing mm. without Drogo, and that's not the way it's done in Dothraki culture, and she orders it anyway. Right. And then people comply. Like, it just seems to be but, over and over that But she that is pattern. paying... I mean, I like the fact that at least she's paying a price for that. And, like, yeah, you know, yeah. again, um, in a lesser series, like, like even cutting Ned's uh, head off, which is not fun, mm-hmm. but I, I was really watching, and, like, they really sell this, like... Sans is losing her shit. Arya's losing her shit. Cersei's losing her <laughs> yes. shit. Varys looks like he's about he just uh-huh. swallowed a live fish. And yep. all this stuff is happening like like it really would if something like this and Joffrey's looking smug and the crowd yeah. and, and like I it it's they just really sell it. Same thing with Danny over there. She's doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But you can see how this is cutting at her base of power inch by inch. This desperate like like she needs to hold on to Cal Drogo, but the way she's doing it is is also completely drying up her power base. Right. Um, and at the same time, the people are telling her, like, these actions you're doing are going to do, you know, have this effect, and she's doing them anyway for reasons that, you know, I think she loves Cal Drogo, but also she's scared shitless about what happens to me. I've just now gotten into a situation where I sure. can start being the person I think I was meant to be. And, and life... She, she has a good heart, too. I mean, she's yeah. trying to save these slaves. Like, I, right. I don't... I, I don't want to say she's... I mean, she's certainly not bad. She's trying to do good things, but, like, she's a little naive about where her power comes from, about mm-hmm. how the, her power, how she fits into this culture. And I, like, they're really hammering that point home. Yeah. Uh, and in some scenes, it just gets a little much. But I don't know. I, I think we're approaching the end of that as as Cal Drogo, uh, I guess, doesn't die at the end of this i don't know what's happening in that tent yeah there's he gets sprayed with horse blood demonic and... sh- i forgot like oh, how man. fucked up the the audio of that tent like there's oh yeah scream there's like her singing him screaming and then uh what hbo helped me provide in the caption as demonic shrieking 
Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I was watching tell. the subtitles. I was like, oh, demonic. Okay, sure. Yeah, that, that's what it sounds like. And the dead are dancing in the tents. Like, that. that's just some really freaky uh, black magic going on there. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're going to make us wait to see what the result is. I guess so. Uh, let's not wait any longer to get into the recap, yeah? Yeah. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints... Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away. And I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Okay, we start off with Varys visiting Ned again. He tells a story of growing up as an actor and then drops some knowledge about Rob fighting his way south. He tries to convince Ned once more to give in to Cersei and Joffrey. Ned, of course, hates that idea, and he's ready to die for his honor. But as Varys is leaving, as Varys does, he sticks the idea that he could possibly save Sansa's life and Arya's life by confessing. And he leaves. And he just leaves him there to think about that. Yeah. Which apparently works. That's uh, the thing. Like we don't get any uh, shot of Ned in the dungeon getting kicked. Like that. This is pretty much the argument that that, that carries the day. Yeah. Um, and I like that. Like you know, he explains like he he's got this superiority over Varys. Like you know, you're an actor. Well, I'm a soldier, and I've been taught to die. And do you think my honor is something I throw away to save as my life that precious? And mm-hmm. um, I like I said, it, it felt very genuine and real. But also. Yeah. I think they're starting to have you as the viewer or you as the reader, if you're reading the book, start thinking that, okay, Ned's going to have a way out of this. And, like, Ned being up at the wall with John, that sounds kind of badass. And ben, <laughs> right. And, and Benjen Stark's missing, and, and we need we need Goodman at the wall. been told that, like, this is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is not the story I thought I was getting, but it's not a bad story. No, I I think it could be really cool if that's how it had played out. But fuck you, because you're not getting that one either. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you don't know what story you're getting by the end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I really do like how 
you know, you know, Varys, Varys does his thing. I, but, but Varys is also a little naive too. He does not understand Joffrey at all, apparently. And that's fair. How would sure. he? Yeah. He's like, just the, the king's son as far yeah. as Varys is concerned. Right. Now he didn't expect Rob, Robert to die so mm-hmm. soon mm-hmm. Um, and maybe have to learn a little bit about Joffrey. Right. But it's interesting because he thinks that Stannis is the one without mercy. Right. Well, mm-hmm. take a look at Joffrey. Get a load of this kid. Yeah. Uh, I, and and he's far less calculated too. Right. Like that's right. the thing. Maybe Stannis could understand, or maybe Varys could understand Stannis, uh, and what kind of guy he is and what he's going to do. But Joffrey seems like a bit of a wild card at the end of this episode. Right. Because I think Varys could probably weigh like you know what from what we've heard of Stannis so far, he probably thinks that like. I might not agree, but I'll be able to predict what he's going to do. Like, if I give this input, he's going to give me this output. Whereas Joffrey, yeah. like you said, wild card, because nothing about this is calculated to boost Joffrey's chance of success, the realm's chance of success, anything. Like, this is just a petulant, shitty, spiteful move by a child. And yeah. it comes across that way. And, like, it'll be, you know, you, you're, you're kind of left after you, you pick up the pieces. Like, what the hell is the what the hell does the world of ice and fire look like after this now that this thing has happened? I don't know. And I'm not sure that you Varys know, even knows. Right. The North have already ridden the war. But now, like, is there going to be any other ramifications from this boy king doing this crazy thing? That's a good question. And we know that Cersei is also, like, supremely worried about Stannis. Like, that's her main focus. Mm. It's not necessarily about Rob. Um, right. She thinks that Tywin's going to just deal with him. Right. Which we know is not necessarily the case. Underestimating um, Stark seems to be a Lannister pastime. I guess so. So Theon shoots down a raven coming from the twins, and it's some just random birthday message. Or is it? <laughs> as Theon says. Sure. Uh, they talk about how to get across the twins as some of their writers approach, and Catelyn decides she's going to talk to Walder Frey uh, in the twins. She's going to go inside because if Rob went in, he'd just be captured and sold. Yeah, and they try to – they do a lot. You know, this it's been a few episodes since they've had to do this, but the way they kind of do is some dense world building is like your reasonable expectation is you're riding forth towards a friendly bannerman. Right. You're just – why is this seen as a, a challenge? And then they talk about like, you know, you heard last episode the late Walter Frey. Like by the time he answered his – her, you know, Kat's father's banner call – the battle was already over. So mm-hmm. he could have ridden in and supported whomever and been right. Here yeah. we see him, you know, with some petty jealousies and some slights, both real and imagined. He's going to extract a bunch of stuff from his liege lord. Right. And, you know, they but they explain all this in the course of 30 seconds. So by the time you actually meet this son of a bitch, mm-hmm. you're 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 not like, what the fuck? This isn't how I expected this to go. You, you're kind of you're, you're kind of looking for and also the casting. Oh, yeah. This guy. Yeah. Yeah, so Catelyn goes inside the twins, and he, she entreats with the, I'm going to label him disgusting, disgusting Walder Frey to let them cross. Right. Uh, yeah, and like you said, th- I mean, I can't imagine a better person to play Walder Frey. Right. Granted, I haven't read the books, but the character that he portrays is just real gross. I mean, the first, I, I don't, I'd only seen this guy playing this Filch character from the Harry Potter films, and he's, like, it's kind of like when you see uh, Mayor uh, Carcetti, uh put in a Game of Thrones, like, oh, I kind of know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew what to expect, but I think this guy's face tells you what to expect. This is yeah. going to be a bitter, wizened piece of shit. Yeah. In some way or another. Just, just, just delights in making people misery and gloats over his own selfish satisfactions, mm-hmm. and that's what we get here. Oh, yeah, and I mean, they, you know, they 
they don't just stop there either. They let the lighting in this scene do a lot of talking. Uh, they let it's got all just these, the state of the these the sons castle, and daughters cavorting around. His like court is all a bunch of incestuous half wits that he doesn't respect. And yeah, uh, they they really paint pa- paint a portrait of what this uh, being at the twins is, is like. Yeah, and also they also but in 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 classic Game of Thrones for, uh, fashion, he has kind of a point. Oh, like right, she said, yeah. you swore war- words. Like, yeah, I, sw- I said some words. I also swore an oath through the crown. Mm-hmm. I ought, you know, like, why shouldn't I hang you all as a bunch of uh, rebels and, and traitors? Right. Uh, so it's not and like he's, he's got just... no big incentive to let them through. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, I think he has a disincentive. You go. That's taking sides for sure. Yeah. You let Rob through and he doesn't win. Then what's your play? Like, I, I feel like this is a surprisingly one sided move from Walter Frey, who we've who in the previous scene we were told is calculating and he's always looking at the options and choosing the best one. And like, he seems to be full on supporting Rob here. Cause I don't like if Rob loses, I don't know what the outcome for Walter Frey is. Yeah. And the you Lannisters can't, aren't going to be happy. You can't argue that he fought your, his way through. No. Cause none of your men are dead. You're right. I, I wonder, I, I know. Yeah. I wonder because you're, because if Rob loses and all that, then not only does he not get the cash in and only the promises, but right. you think he'd be under for some Lannister reprisal. You would think so. Um, he he does work out a pretty sweet deal with yeah, Rob, though. If sure. Rob wins, and maybe he's just that com- you know that comfortable and how impregnable his fortress is because yeah. you know they go into detail in the books about how just really like like it's this in the eerie as far as castles and keeps that are most defended because it's in the middle of the river. It commands the only crossing for hundreds and hundreds of miles. It's right. it's got these like channels carved into the base of the castles on the bridge where they can flood them and like have this big moat at an instant. It seems like it'd be easier to just build another bridge than yeah. try and cross the twins. Yeah, like if, if this is such Not a huge this advantage, situation, it's kind of but... like cost. It's kind of like uh, you know CVS and Walgreens, right? Like like uh, Ward Frey's Wal- Walgreens, and he looks across the the Trident a mile up the road, and like oh my God, CVS is going like right ac- right across. This, this is madness. Like, and what's he going to do? such a sweet deal. Yeah. Get some competition going in there. Right. It's not like he can attack you. Right. The Lannisters decide we're going to post up 2,000 people here. Although I imagine that's the thing. That that's probably a reason why is that Lord Frey, if you put try to put up a bridge anywhere near, he'd probably go and kick it down while, you know. But could he? It seems like he's only powerful in mm. his defense yeah. of, the, of the river there. Yeah. So I'd, I don't know. I, I would build another bridge if I were Tywin. <laughs> uh, not Rob. He doesn't have the time, though. Right. Uh, so I don't know what else you want to say about Walder Frey. I'm happy moving on to Gior, please. Uh, Gior gives John a fancy sword, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, as a reward for saving him from the white the the previous evening. And he solves John's Alistair problem for him by sending Alistair to King's Landing to show Joffrey the arm of the white that they killed. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see Alistair again this season, but. Uh, I I just don't know if that's going to really convince Joffrey of anything. Right. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like this is the one, the rare instance where the Lord Commander looks a bit foolish, but that he's going to just be able to stride up to Joffrey and fling that at his feet and be like, there, boy. Yeah, like We took it, this off of I, a living corpse right maybe maybe it's they're they're hoping it's still going to wriggle or i think there was maybe something <laughs> about like the fact that it's decomposition has been retarded that maybe that'll be but still like you're assuming a lot about how this you know right sir barristan the bull didn't get anywhere by throwing his sword at his feet and saying here boy 
Um, uh-huh. It just looks like a little bit. Maybe they're just they're just out of touch. Could be. But I do like there's a lot of stuff we find out about Jorah here too. Like it's it's a castaway mention, but this was this is their ancestral blade. This this right. this an, this Valerian steel thing has been in their family for 500 years. Uh, it was given to Jorah when uh, the old bear abdicated the the head of his house and and, and took the black. Uh, and he said Jorah had an, he, he disgraced himself, but had enough grace to leave the blade behind when he went into exile. Mm-hmm. That kind of tells it's very inconsistent with what we know about Jorah, where he's a slaver, but he's still honorable. You know, right? Honor and loyalty mean everything to him, but he also got his head turned by this this lady. So he claims like that is also interesting character building that takes place completely in a different continent and and thousands of miles away from what's going on at the sun. Yeah. Do you remember like specifically seeing this sword earlier on in the season? I don't think so. It wouldn't surprise mentioned... me if he had it like at his side, but right. I wasn't looking for it. And I wasn't either. But they make mention of you know changing the pommel on that to from from what I assume is a bear because that's their house symbol, right? Uh, to a wolf for John. I I wish I I should go back and look to see. Uh, if maybe he's got it by his side or something. Cause... See, I misremembered, and I, maybe this is a detail from the books, but I've, and someone corrected me earlier this season, but I thought that it was like a, a white bear that looks similar enough to a wolf that, like, you know. Just like, like yeah, nobody will notice. Well, or they even Gior maybe made mention of that, but I, I guess I dreamed that conversation that, like, yeah, it's a, it's a bear head, but if you squint, it looks like a, a, looks like a white wolf. Right. Uh, which would fit John. But no, I guess I, I was wrong about that. And it's called Longclaw. Yep, which which works for either either house bear, I suppose so. bear wolf. They all they all have claws. Yeah. So everyone wants to see John's new sword, except for Sam, who's looking glum, and John just kind of, you know, hands over this fancy sword to his buds there. Right. Lets him play around, and then he asks Sam what's up, and Sam tells him Rob's heading to war, and John gets a look on his face that says, "I may or may not be too stupid to understand that I should be there." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he does think he should be there. You yeah. Can tell. Yeah. Uh, and I guess Sam found out because he read some letters that came for the maester. Yeah, he's their his steward. So it's, and the maester's would, blind. He's so blind. What's he's got to have exactly? Yes. They're not. They're not writing braille. Apparently, nope. They need. They haven't invented that yet. Uh, I I feel like we'll talk more about this scene when we get to the the next portion of it. Indeed. Um. So Catelyn rides back to Rob's camp and tells him the good news. Walder Frey is going to let them pass, but there are a few uh, stipulations here, a few conditions. Rob has to take his son Oliver as a squire. Arya has to marry one of his sons when she comes of age. And Rob has to marry one of his daughters after the battle's over. Mm-hmm. Rob consents, and they cross the river. I mean, this is kind of played for comedy, right? Uh-huh. You know, the fact that uh, and... Arya is going to marry anyone, uh-huh. uh, you know, bloody hell. <laughs> then you're going to get to pick one of his daughters. Like, well, was what, what were they like? And she's like, one was, and just just trails off. Yep. And all the lords and Theon are having a having a blast with it. But uh, yeah, it's a good scene. Making a making a marriage alliance with the uh, the Lord of the North uh, is a big step up for for Walder. Which I so if I mean, what is Rob's plan? Rob is going south to take the throne or just get his father back. I think at this point he's riding forth to rescue his father and his sisters and maybe okay. put in new management up top. But I don't think that, you know, as a northern net led by Ned Stark, he would have any designs on the throne. He'd probably right. side with his father. Well, the rightful ruler is going to be Stannis. So we're going to 
we're going to try to throw our hat in with him and, and save my father, and then I'll go back to being Warden of the North. Yeah. Uh, it does seem a pretty shrewd move um, by Walder, at least from, from the if Rob wins angle. Yeah. I mean, he gets quite a bit out of this. I wonder uh, if there's any plausible deniability of, like, well, I got the raven that... You know, Rob, Rob just asked across, and he said he was going to pay respects with twenty thousand dudes to his <laughs> his father or his uh, his grandfather. Like, I, uh-huh. I, I wonder if there was any wiggle room that that Walter had in case this goes south. Because you're right, I've never really thought about this, but he is leaving himself wide open in case this whole thing fails. Yeah, and he doesn't seem like a guy that would do that. I don't. I don't think he's got to where he is by doing that. Sure, um, but I, I don't know. We'll maybe see more about that. In and we don't know. We don't know the extent of his scheming, too. We're just yeah. only seeing what he's saying to Cat's face, right? Um, so, Maester Aemon, we go back up to the wall, and Maester Aemon asks John to feed his birds so he can lecture him about his duty and honor. And he he knows that John's tempted to go south and defend his brother. And in the process of lecturing him, he tells a story about when he was tempted, and we come to find out he's a Targaryen. Mm-hmm. I don't think we knew that before. Um, did we know his name before? I think we knew his name as Aemon, but okay. again, the fact that... I mean, that's the little joke even in the books is that this guy, who I think is 102 years old, mm-hmm. is so old and you know, generational memory is so fragile that people have forgotten the fact that he's kind of a celebrity. Right. You know? It's like when, you know, if Andy Rooney shows up to, uh, uh, is he dead now? It'd be his corpse. Shows up to a birthday know. party of a bunch of 15, 16-year-olds in Hollywood. Nobody knows who the hell he is. Yeah. Maybe they've heard legend of him. Right, right. Or if you had yeah. a 100-year-old Gene Kelly coming back and, oh, he's the, they, they, whatever. They, people have forgotten about him. Um, yeah. But I thought it was interesting. And, and I thought this is a fantastic scene. Like It is. The fury this old man still feels at what must seem like a grave injustice. Like, you know, mm-hmm. even if you believe that the Mad King was bad, like the fact that his whole family was was essentially put to the sword and and yeah. very small remnants scattered to other continents, that had to be, you know, if if you have any kind of honor or pride at all mm-hmm. or love for your family, that's got to be a, 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 a huge blow. And the fact that this, this old guy was able to summon all that rage, you know, in an instructive lesson to John... It, it's great. It's great because it shows John. It should have shown John, you know, w- w- an example of real courage and strength and, and remaining true to your duty. Right. Because he had taken the black at that time, and he had to make the choice. Right. Yeah. I'm going to go defend my family, or I'm going to stay here and do my duty. <clears throat> and it seems like he he stayed. Obviously, yeah. he's still there. It's also funny that like you got like an, what a seventeen eighteen year old telling a hundred year old man you don't know how I feel like that's oh yeah that's a dangerous game of emotional chicken to play with somebody like even in nowadays you're if you said that to a hundred year old person in America Oof. you're talking about a guy who's seen world wars yep uh uh worldwide financial meltdowns and depressions and yep. uh, like. Yeah, you really sure? Disco? Yeah, he's lived through fucking (laughs) leisure suits. Uh, I don't think that's someone you want to square off emotionally with, man. No, hell no. He's seen some shit. Uh, But but it's really, you're right, this scene is really good because it also, in combination with the other stuff that's happening um, with Varys and Ned and, you know, the end with Ned where he gets his head chopped off after essentially abandoning his honor. Right. Right. you you wonder what might be the thing that would break 
John's sense of duty. Mm-hmm. And if it's not this Rob thing, is there anything? Because eventually, even a man as honorable as Ned, the kind of prototypically honorable person in Game of Thrones, eventually he was broken. Right. Um, they they bent him over the barrel and they broke him. And it it doesn't bode well for John, I think, because no. John is clearly less committed to this idea than Ned was. Right. The, so I want to say I want to get a little book nerd on people here because I know I'll get I've already gotten emails on it, but I, I want to stave off any the the lineage they give for Eris is actually not book accurate. There oh, is there shit. is one person between Makor and Aegon, uh, I think. Uh, it's this Jaharis guy that's, that's been omitted from the lineage. And I read up and researched about why this was. Um, and I got two main thoughts. Uh, one was that it's just simpler. Like why, like you're already confusing people. Like people, people know Meg, uh, Aegon or they, they know about, um, Eris cause they've heard about the Mad Kings. This connects into that d- dynasty and, right. and, and all that. Um, but so they want to add even another line of names to, con- to confuse people. Um, but the official explanation that came from the showrunners, I can't remember if this was from a commentary or an interview was that, they aged up a lot of the characters. Like, all the children famously are aged up three to four to five years, Danny right. included. But they really aged up, like, Ned and Catelyn. Like, they are very, they are young. Like, you would expect, hmm. you know, nobles that got married in their late teens and had children. Like, they're right. in their very early 30s, and they're still in the prime of their life. Whereas Sean and, and uh, Michelle F- uh, Fairley uh-huh. are well in the middle age. Sure. So to make that work, because if 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 like if you left that guy in, it would make like uh, Aemon like 120 years old. Where it's like okay, 102 maybe, right. but 120 like what the hell? So the official explanation is they did it to make everyone's ages the the the, the tinkering they did the ages work out. Gotcha. I don't know if that's a satisfying explanation, but that's the one we got. And I don't give a okay. shit either way. I don't care. I don't think John cares. He gets the point. Right. Uh, like any, yeah, like like less focus on lineage and succession, since mostly for the story purposes, it doesn't matter. Is a fine thing for me. Yeah. I know people disagree. I think uh, Eamon just doesn't want John to know his real age. He's a little self conscious. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's like I'm gonna leave one of these out. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. He's and bait. he was also losing him. He could see the mouth was slacking. <laughs> yeah. He was like, "I'm losing this kid. Let's get to no." The in point. his case, his mouth was closing. He was less receptive, <laughs> right. less open and receptive. Exactly. Uh, so we go back to the Dothraki who are riding through through the mountainous regions there. When Drogo falls off his horse, Danny wants to camp so he can rest, but the Dothraki don't want to take orders from her, and she just barely gets her way by invoking Drogo's authority. Says, I'll tell on you when Drogo wakes up. And he's gone because he's strong. Right. Well, he he's really gone from tis a scratch to falling off his horse. And yeah, they jumped around. Noticeably gray and... Yeah, bad. Look, looks bad, man. Which is also a great realistic thing in medieval times. A scratch could lead to a massive infection to kill you. Hell, sure. it still can. Mm-hmm. Since we've been fucking around with antibiotics long enough, that a lot of them don't work anymore. <laughs> like you get a, the right staff infection, and it's the fucking Grim Reaper in a modern hospital. Let alone some horseshit thrown strewn battlefield where people are maybe maybe not cleaning wounds and stuff. It's right. It's, uh, maybe it's or maybe not literally rubbing shit into them. Maybe. Right. Yeah, I want to throw some maggots in there. That'll no, help. There you go. Eat out the bad stuff. Which is probably one that, I mean, I, I, I don't the know. more effective thing. I was going to say, like, I, yeah. there's something back my head. I don't know, Aaron. Maybe maggots are effective there. It's like leech. Everyone talks shit about leeches. Uh-huh. It turns out that, like, for, like, limb reattachment, leeches are the best thing. 
somehow. Hmm. Okay. Do they, like, coagulate the blood? Yeah, it keeps the blood Some from coagulating, they... and they also inject... Because uh, I actually, in my, our recent vacation, I got a leech. Right. Those wounds bleed like a motherfucker because they got natural anticoagulants. So I guess it just uh, it keeps it from clotting, and it promotes huh. uh, new capillary growth and all that stuff. Okay. I, don't but... know if that, I, I honestly don't know if, like, you go to John Hopkins, get your arm put back on, if they leech you up. Mm-hmm. Or if that's just like you know a fringe thing, but I, I do remember reading that there was a lot of doctors using them successfully for that kind of thing. Hmm. Okay, uh, Tywin and his advisors are eating. Tyrion joins them, and Tywin tells him that he and his, his uh, tribesmen will be the vanguard for their attack. Uh, Tyrion storms off to his tent. He's not happy about it. Where he finds Bronn waiting for him with a whore. He tells Bronn the bad news about the vanguard, and Bronn goes to find a whore of his own. <laughs> To I guess live live out the last night he's got. Not just a whore, but a stolen whore at that. Oh right, yeah. And then Tyrion spells out what he expects of uh, Shay, who that's that's the whore's name, and they get down. Mm-hmm. And he, I guess, he expects quite a bit, but you know, he's also offering safety, the pleasure of his company, and more gold than she's <laughs> ever seen in her life. So right, uh, she'll be handsomely compensated. It's but... better than two coppers. It is, you know, having having uh, having Tyrion as a as a John is a massive upgrade from Theon. Yeah, uh, and you know, apparently, I don't know most most of them are used to getting copper, not not even silver. Uh, silver is a pretty good price. Well, they play a lot with some of this her backstory here, where they kind of imply that she at least wasn't base born. She's not from Westeros. Mm, yeah. uh, she might have uh, a little bit of no, like a surprising amount of nobility. So I don't know. Maybe she's like one of those, uh, uh, you know, high class, high class girls. Yeah, she's high price call, two thousand dollars an hour kind of Vegas mm. call girl. She's yeah, call girl escort. I don't know what they call them, the high-class ones. Sex worker. Sure. <laughs> if we want to be as as uh, unoffensive as possible. Yeah. We'll I refer mean, to whores only as sex workers from here on out. <laughs> Not in Game of Thrones, we won't. <laughs> I, I'm using the nomenclature that Game of Thrones uses, mm-hmm. so it's how they, it's blame how they them. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, so I, I got to thinking about this. Okay, so Tywin... So Tyrion, obviously, he, he rightfully points out that this is a death sentence, essentially, yeah, sending, we talked. Like, we talked last week or the week before about the van and right. how crazy. Um, J- great John Umber thinks it's a great honor, but Tyrion sees it as oh shit. Yeah, this is a high percentage of dying kind of thing. Right. Also confirming the shrewd. Well, we we talked about how uh, Tywin Lannister might use these forces if he was shrewd. Well, yep, he's doing it. He's uh, he's well armed them, but he's going to throw them right into the woodchipper. He is, but it got me thinking about Tywin and Tyrion's relationship. So. Tywin, without a thought here, is willing to kill his son, right? And as a matter of fact, looks like that's one of his main goals. Yeah. Surely this can't be the first time he's attempted it. And if not, how has he not succeeded by now? A man as powerful as Tywin. So, is it your position that Tywin would rather would would want to see Ty, uh, Tyrion killed? Why or... else send him in with the vanguard? I think that, like... Tyrion's not a capable warrior, by any means. What I'm saying is, like, if Tyrion would just be poisoned or fall down the stairs or fall off a parapet, like, there might be questions mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, what happened to the Lannisters and did they have an assassin or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think this is just an opportunistic thing. Like, I need this done. I would like... This right. is a chance for him to die in combat. No one can say... 
you know, I can say I gave him the honor to. I mean, I, I don't know how Tywin's justified in his mind, but I don't think he wants him to kill kill him at no at, at, at for for nothing because he's aware of how that would look and how oh, that right. reflect upon the Lannister name. I just can't imagine in the what forty years that there Tyrion's hasn't been, been any, alive, there's been no other no opportunity, boar hunts, nothing. Yeah. You couldn't call him for advice while you're out in the field and right. say, well, we need all men on the battlefield. Let's do this, Tyrion. Right. You're up. Yeah. Uh, I I just feel like it's strange that Tywin has not succeeded in what appears to be his goal, kill Tyrion. Hmm. Don't I never it. thought of it that way. Uh, but maybe this is literally the first time. If so, why now? Why? Why does he want to kill Tyrion? I mean... D- I don't know. I don't think we fully under... We're we're not... I think these are all questions we should be asking ourselves as an audience. Okay. I mean, we know... We found out that, uh, you know, Tyrion's mother died during childbirth. There could be some misplaced guilt there. Uh, Right. We know that he's a dwarf, and we've heard that that's as bad as being a bastard in this world. So there's just a disappointment of you've got this great family of, you know, Jamie's this badass dude that can hand people their asses and Cersei's the most beautiful woman in the kingdom and she's the wife of the king and right. then you got Tyrion. Wah, wah. Like there's lots Who's of the reasons. The firstborn, right? Yeah. No, no, he was the he's the youngest. He's the youngest? Yep. Yep. Damn. Okay. Uh but yeah, right, like, right, obviously. Yeah, he is the youngest. We we will we will find I think I think that's one of the things that we'll uncover as we go forward is like why all this pathos and and maybe Tyrion. Yeah. I you know an open question is, does Tyrion fully understand? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe this, uh, well, I'm a dwarf and my father hates me is a, a simplification. Could be. Uh, also, you know, he's very, Tywin's very concerned with his dynasty. Yes. As he would call it. His dinty more. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing is, uh, Tywin doesn't exactly strike me as a type of guy who would just entertain a whole bunch of questions about why you hate me. No, oh, right. Like, you come in talking that shit in his tent, and he's like, don't you have better things to do? I'm skinning my deer. Get the fuck out of here. I made you to get... You know, it's like, right. I, I think that he would just shut that shit down. So maybe Tyrion doesn't fully understand. Could be. We go back to Danny, who's watching over a very sick Drogo, when Jorah shows up and tells her she should run because the new cow will likely kill her and her baby if Drogo dies, and he's not looking so hot. Quatho? Uh, Quotho? I don't know this guy's name. The right-hand mm-hmm. man of Drogo. I'll call him Quatho. Uh, comes in, and he makes it clear that Jorah's correct. This guy's gunning for her right off the bat. And Danny asks the witch to save Drogo. She says she'll do it, and drags Drogo's horse into the tent and sprays blood all over Drogo. Yep. Uh, then some really bad noises come out of the tent, and Quatho goes to put an end to it. But Jorah fights him and kills him. The steel dresses are, uh, you yeah. know, maybe maybe better than the uh, Dothraki would assume. He was, he was saying this exact thing to this exact person before, right. wasn't he? Yeah. No, no, no. It was the so there's a younger one who's kind of been oh. like the one that's like the guy with the whip that seems to like he's taking a shine to Danny and Jorah. Right. This is right. the you know so he's kind of like I don't think he's one of Cal Drogo's blood riders. He's more uh-huh. of like an attendant to the queen. Um, but yeah, so he, he, but he did say that to that young guy and it it has come to pass. (laughs) Right. You can just catch those fucking curved blades with your breastplate and then guy got, guy was kind of lucky. He just got his cheek flayed open. Like I was actually, I I thought my memory is like the Jorah, I damn near decapitated the guy. Oh, see, I thought the guy pulled his punch on Jorah when he, he thrust that curved blade at his face. Oh, really? Kind of kind of nicked him mm. i thought he could have gotten him better mm. 
Well, definitely Jorah could have, like, you know, with the guy's, oh, man. you know, arms right there at his armpit, it seems like, just swing your sword and the head's yeah. gone. But, eh, guy almost dodged it. Almost. <laughs> uh, then Danny goes into labor, so Jorah takes her into the tent to let the witch deliver the baby. I don't know about this idea, Jorah. Like I said, there are some really bad noises coming out of there. <laughs> This is uh, the opposite of a natural birth. This is unnatural childbirth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, this is another scene where I'm I'm just not sure Danny understands the situation she's in. Well, but also, you know, it's thrust upon her. Like, this baby uh, looks like there might be some trauma involved. Oh, right. No, I mean, but like before this. When oh, she's in gotcha. the tent with Drogo and she's like, I'm Khaleesi. I have dragon's yes. blood. Yes. You don't get it. <laughs> you don't yeah. understand what's happening here. But, I mean, what is uh, her... Because I guess the smart play, the quote-unquote smart play, would be for Jorah to get a suit of armor on for them to sneak off on their... Right, which he tries to you do. You know, second and third swiftest horses in the Dothraki fleet. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and get the hell out of Dodge, which is what he seems to be lobbying for. But yeah. Danny, like, so that's a smart move. If you're not going to run away, trying to keep Cal Drogo alive seems to be her best bet, her only bet. Oh, right. No, it's, it's when she gets, like... She tries to puff herself up, I guess, mm. in a situation where clearly she doesn't actually have the power. Yeah, but That's... it's a fragile thing. Like, if she shrinks, what, I mean, right. if she shrinks back, then Quotho probably, does, you know, quashes everything right here and there. Whereas when Maybe she so. says, in, invokes Cal Drogo's name, and the fact that she's Khaleesi, and, like, there might be some of the other blood riders that are kind of on the fence yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, you know, why can't we just wait for this to play itself out? Either Cal Drogo's dead, alive or he's not, you know. I, there, there's uh-huh. still a little bit of doubt, and so I think she has to. She has to do what she does because anything else leads to a guess, quicker, quicker death. I guess I viewed this culture as a little more cutthroat. Like your cow is seen as weak. Like if your cow can't ride, yeah. he's no cow. He says it in this episode. But fucking, but, but there's still like even in a culture I, I like that, there's maybe assassination. But there's like a po- there's still politics. Like he's the first uh-huh. guy to say it. Well, he right. can't ride the horse. We should probably move on. The other blood riders like no fucking way. This is the blood of my blood. I ain't gonna let. So, like, mm-hmm. there's, you know, just because the first guy said it doesn't mean everybody else is like, it's, it is known, let's kill him. Right. Uh, there's still a little bit of politics to be played there. Not much. It's very primitive. Very, very, very primitive. Little. But there's still a little bit of, like, well, it's not just one of us. There's, like, what, three? I can't remember how many blood riders a cow's got. I think or even three, if it's yeah. a given number. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah. I had to look up Quatho's name. Quotos well, and the other thing is, like, the other reason, because, like, uh, I'm, I'm not too interested in correcting you because they play fast and loose with, the, you know, compositing different Dothraki, and so it's not, it's not, like, I think this hmm. is different than the books, and, like, the, the Jocko guy uh, that you're referring to is, like, a, a invented for the show. Okay. So, yeah, you know, whatever. All right. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I... I don't I don't know about this this final scene where he takes her into the tent uh to give birth. I mean, you can't send someone in there to maybe get the witch. Mm. Bring her out. She's busy chanting. She's busy <laughs> demon wrangling. Oh yeah. Now she's going to be super busy. She's going to be uh-huh. uh you know going back and forth between Drogo's uh corpsification and Yeah. This... But that's kind of where we leave Danny. I mean, we we don't know what happens to her yet. Uh, and it looks... That's why I said this feels slightly like a weaker episode because even though some big bullet point things happen, like Ned dying, all the rest of the episode is just setting up the next episode. 
Like all, all, all the like, you know, is Cal Drogo dead or not? You know, right? Well, how does Rob react to news of his father dying? Like, what, what, what is going to yeah. be the political what ramifications of that? How, mm-hmm. what, what's going to happen to Arya? Like, all these things are questions raised in this episode, and the only really finality we get is Ned, right? Okay, so we go back to the tent where Tyrion, Shay, and Bronn are playing games in, uh, while they drink. The Lannister version of Never Have I Ever turns into a real moment for Tyrion where he talks about his previous marriage to a woman who turned out to be a whore that his brother had paid to sleep with him and then how his father then gave her to his men and made Tyrion watch as they raped her. Uh, And then that turns Shay on and she goes for it. (laughs) Not exactly that, but they end up banging and Bronn walks out of the room uh, so as not to see it. Yeah, he just kind of sees himself out. Yeah. I see, uh, okay, the, the the drinking games have stopped. Also, Braun, like, he's just drinking all the... He, he's, uh, I, I noticed, because um, they said something about him being to the wall, and he drinks, and then she asks him a random question about why are you there, and he's like, for work, and he takes another drink. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's just yeah. drinking. This right. game is like, whatever. He doesn't need the game. He, I'm pretty sure he knows he can outdrink these two people. Probably. Tyrion's very small. He's got his the experience. Might be higher, but, yeah, but the, the blood chemistry is not on his side. Right. And then I, I don't know about Shay. Maybe she can really knock him down. Never know. I couldn't tell you, but uh, maybe we'll find out by the end of the season. Uh, but I really, really love this scene. I mean, not only is it a good moment between these three characters who uh, all seem pretty likable. I, I don't know much about Shay yet, but of course we like Bronn and Tyrion. Uh, in their interplay, but also it gives Tyrion like a real moment of solid character development, and gives you reason. Like you, we might not know why fully Tywin hates Tyrion, but this here is reason enough. As Bronn said, "I would kill the man that did that to me." Right. Like I'm genuinely in love as only a 16 year old can be. <laughs> of course. And then you take my child bride and you rape her in front of me and reveal that this was all a cruel trick. Like fuck yeah. this whole family, man. Yeah, and Peter Dinklage knocks the scene out of the park too. I yeah. mean, he has, he's just reserved enough here. You know, he doesn't break down into a blubbering mess or anything. Right. You can tell it's this years is, This is past. a distant pain. Right, but you can you can still feel it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think he does a great job in this scene. And even like, you know, he said uh, something about you were hurt as a youth and you can never love again. He's like, oh, wait, that's me. Like, that's still <laughs> right. telling you. In his own wry sort of comedic way right that he's got this whole kind of alcoholic detachment to life and this is one of the big reasons why yeah and who can blame him that's a bad formative experience yeah his life has not been easy uh and then Bronn wakes over or wakes up a hungover Tyrion, telling him uh rob's army is like a mile away yep you probably need to get dressed Tyrion gets into his armor delivers a rousing speech to his men and is promptly knocked out (laughs) accidentally by one of their swinging clubs yep uh, when he comes to, the battle's over, and they've won. And Tywin says, well, there were only 2,000 bannermen, not the 20,000 the scout told him about. And that means Rob, obviously, is with the other 18,000 somewhere. Tyrion asks where they are. I'm going to cut it there so we can talk about this scene, because um, it bleeds right into the next one. But it looks like a lot of these tribesmen survived mm-hmm. the battle. Um, the, the, the vanguard was... The main ones, anyway. Effective. Right. Um, took out these 2,000 men. What is Well, that? the reason it's so effective is because there's only 2,000. Right. So it was just a slaughter, a one-sided slaughter. Oh, they would slaughter. have been killed yeah. if it was 20 or yeah, even think, the 16 yeah. or whatever he's sure, got. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, of course. This is such an overwhelming force. The vanguard is probably bigger than the whole main army. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think they said they had like 3,000 tribesmen. 
So, yeah, mm. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, but what is this? What happens to the promise that Tywin made here to get, or that Tyrion and Tywin then indirectly made? That is a good question. To give them the veil. That's a good question. I mean, he did not expect them to live, right? And also, it's like, I, could, I mean, I suppose he could try and get them killed again. Well, the other thing is, like, just <laughs> let him go because my interpretation of the deal was, I want to give you the weapons needed to right, take right, what right. you because because in their mind, the only reason we we lose is because of their fucking a superior and superiority in weapons. They don't. Understand, uh-huh. like, well, they also have been living for centuries off the best land, and they have food that can survive sieges, and they can move. They have logistics that you guys can only dream of, and they also got better weapons, and they got better tactics to go along with their weapons. I don't yeah. know what more that they're wanting, and and that could be that I'm just misunderstanding the bet. But I'm kind of curious to see because I don't really remember uh, exactly. I, I got the broad strokes of what happens next, but I don't remember the details. Okay, I'm not sure the justifications involved. Yeah. It seems like a pretty good deal for Tywin, though, if he's just going to arm them and let them go. Because either they succeed and they're loyalists to the Lannisters now mm-hmm. because of their help, or they fail and no one's the wiser. Right? Yeah. I, there was some gallows humor in the, these uh, two uh, hill tribes people trying to put this Stark man out of his misery. There's uh-huh. beating on his <laughs> chest with hammers like... Uh, <laughs> like a like a like, uh, like one of those tinkers workbenches that toddlers play with. Like he still wasn't dead after like four or five hammer blows. This guy's just going to be slowly compressed. Yeah, just put one of those axes in his head, man. Yeah, or just yeah, aim aim that, and maybe that's what they're like. Maybe we're supposed to understand that they're kind of playing with their their prey here. Savages. Yeah, they're just trying to make a song, compose a song from this man's broken cries. <laughs> God, I just bummed myself out. <laughs> <laughs> so that scene bleeds right. Uh, Tyr- Tyrion asks where they are, and then we go right over to Catelyn, who's waiting for Rob to return. Uh, she's not sure if he's going to, but then he does. He rides out of the woods oh. from another battle. What do you think of them wholesaling, ripping off the gladiator shot of him gliding along on a stretcher? Like, they do that in several times in the oh. movie Gladiator, the Russell Crowe's fading in and out of consciousness, and same perspectives and everything. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to make of it. I consider it an homage rather than a st- straight-up thievery, which is, I guess... sure most good uses of other people's uh, shots and angles, but uh, it was it's just, it's, it's stuck out as conspicuous. Okay. Didn't feel very game of Thronesy. You think they're trying to say anything with it? Uh, no, just I just think they're like, the Hey, shot. you know, it really, really sold the mental state of Russell Crowe when we did it, when they, uh, when Ridley Scott did it in gladiator. So let's just do it again. Okay. Um, yeah. So, Catelyn uh, sees Rob coming back, and he's been at another battle that we don't even see. They just kind of skip over it, but the outcome was he captured Jamie. Uh, and Jamie tries to tempt Rob into a one-on-one fight, but Rob knows he'd lose, so he refuses. And then Rob kind of feels bad about sacrificing 2,000 of his men and then um, and, and listening to all of his other men celebrate what a grand victory they got. And then he says, no, nope, no, nope, don't celebrate yet. The war is far from over. Good move or bad move? I feel like to the, what? it's a little little on the Debbie Downer side. To like, we just won our first victory and like, don't fucking celebrate. Like that. Yeah. I mean that that can work for some head coaches. Like uh-huh. I, I've seen I've seen guys do it, but like, don't get cocky, kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, like I I, I don't know. There's a line between um, you know being not letting your men celebrate their victory, especially the kind of your first one as a new lord, 
versus telling them that, hey, it's going to be... I, I feel like there's a middle ground between you shouldn't enjoy this, good people died, and, hey, yes, celebrate tonight, but tomorrow... Exactly. Just know the war is still on. That's I, what I was thinking. Like, give them the night. Let them celebrate. Let them drink. Yeah. And then in the morning, say what, you know, it was a great victory, but it cost us, and we're far from done with this. But if you're a 17, 18-year-old leading the army, maybe you, you got to err on the side of being a gruff, gruff yeah. tactician rather than than uh you know having your heart on your sleeve i suppose so uh jamie feels like a pretty big piece to have <laughs> yeah uh, a pretty big pawn to have sure. in your pocket here uh we know the relationship that he has with cersei we know well i guess before the next scene we thought we knew the kind of control cersei had over king's landing right um who who knows how much control she actually has now that joffrey's right. wild carding it up right but I think this is a huge win for Rob. Well, not only that, but from a battlefield, tactical, strategic perspective, having two field armies you can move around is a hell of a lot better than one. Right, Even if right. that one army is now, like, let's say that the majority of them escape and get back to Tywin somehow. Yeah. Now you got 50,001 hosts, you know, versus you know, being able to split that with a, with a capable field commander. Right. You know that's the that's somewhat frustrating, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the feedback. But the skipping over to battles thing is kind of a Game of Thrones deal or a Song of Ice and Fire deal. Very rarely does Martin seem to care about the specifics of any battle. It's just like yeah. you're always cutting away. A couple more chapters pass, you come back, and the battle's over. But I hear that. So I was watching this with my girlfriend. She said, "Oh, the, here comes the Whispering Woods battle, or yeah, whatever. Sure. This is my favorite battle from the book." I'm surprised you. And haven't... she was like, "What the fuck? They just skipped my favorite battle?" Wow, I don't remember it as being a standout. And I'm surprised you didn't recognize because the battle Whispering Woods is one we played in that uh, Battles of Westeros oh, a lot. Oh, right. Back right. when we just had the base set, that was one of our favorites because it yeah. was pretty evenly matched deal. But no, I'd, um, I. So you... I guess they describe it. In the books? If they do, it's I don't remember it being in any great detail. Huh. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Because okay. the other thing is, you know, Rob's not in the books a POV character. So uh, like you would own that's you get it from Jamie's you'd, side. You would well Jamie's not even a POV character in the in the, the opening books. What? So you would get this from like Catlin's perspective. Kind of like you do here. So like if they Weird. describe it, like um I'm trying to think. It couldn't be in like like it's not a it's not a giant full chapter battle. But those are well, very rare in the source material. That's what she said. I haven't read the books. So I can't Maybe she's right. She's probably, she, she might have read them more recently than I. Uh, so we go to the final scene where Arya is looking for food in the streets of King's Landing. She finds a pigeon, but she drops it and heads toward the Sept of Baylor when she finds out that her dad's being taken there. And she climbs up a statue of Baylor, spots her father uh, being drug out, essentially. Um, Ned also sees her and tells his dude to go help her. And then Ned abandons his honor entirely and proclaims Joffrey the rightful king. Regardless, Joffrey decides to cut off his head. And everyone thinks it's a shit idea. Everyone thinks it's a shit idea. Except for Joffrey, except who's for... quite quite pleased with himself. <laughs> Joffrey and the people. Uh, the people seem to like it. The crowd there. Uh, they just want blood. That's the thing. Uh, and Ilan Payne. Ilan Payne loves it. Yep. He loves his job, man. Yep. He gives him the chop. Uh, a couple things like the real like as you know as a more seasoned viewer I, I I saw more of the kick in the crotch details the fact that Ned uh, betrayed his gods too like he's uh, not swearing by the old gods he's swearing by the sept by by the septon and the faith of the seven and in this and and by Baylor who's what huh. the champion of the faith uh, he doesn't even get to use his own gods and you can see he's like 
choking on these words. He's profaning his faith. He's telling lies. Like this is just costing like, the man his honor by the second. Yeah. And then they they lop. Like you probably don't know this if if you're not a seasoned viewer, but the sword they use to execute him is his own goddamn ancestral blade, ice. <sighs> oh the one God. that he used to execute the deserter and the pilot is the one. Like that's an extra bit of cruelty that they, you're killed by your own family's sacred blade. Pretty I, I did bad notice news. that it was similar to to the one. I mean, how can you not notice the similarity of this Ned one, in the first episode chopping yeah, yeah, right. chopping that guy's head off with with what's happening now? But I didn't realize it was the same sword. Yeah, that's brutal. Uh, pre- so, pretty so bad. What does that say about Joffrey's intention going out there from the jump? I mean, because I'm wondering, like, does he see how the crowd is reacting no, I and think decide he... on the spot to kill Ned, or does he have this plan from the get go? I feel like that. And this is just my feelings because Joffrey never gets a POV chapter to understand what's going on in his fucked up mind. But from what all I've thought about and read, it, my if you think of last week when he goes, your sweet words have moved me, my lady. Like, I think he was planning to be a shit from that. Like, I'm going to put my own mark on this king and right, right from the jump. Right. Right from the jump. I want to make sure that people know I'm not somebody to be fucked with. And the fact that... Sir Ilan Payne had ice there, would, right. would I think is another good piece of evidence, because who the hell else would order that? You yep. know, all everybody else on the small council was down with the him taking the black plan. Yep. Uh, so... And I, I looked at Joffrey while this was going on, and uh-huh. there isn't a shot of him, like, noticing the crowd's reaction or anything like that. He's just standing up there looking as fucking regal as he can. It would be interesting to see if the crowd had turned on him. Right. Um... So if anything, like I think he had that in mind, and he was emboldened by the crowd, sure. and he seemed to be really in- enjoying it. But whew. and like you said, like Sansa faints. His mother is like saying, "This is madness." Ah, uh, uh, Arya's losing her shit. Yorn comes in there Varys to save him. Runs over there, like, "What the fuck, Cersei? Yeah. I thought you had this." Yeah, sure. Yeah, this is not what we talked about. Nope. Um, you know, the other thing is like I've forgotten that Ned saw Arya and this whole Baylor thing. Uh huh. Because, you know, the other thing, if you're first watching this, like, who the hell is Baylor? You never see the full statue. She's just, you know, crouching under the statue's skirts. Like, I don't know that that, right. that all tracks. But, you know, um, he sees that at least one of his daughters is temporarily safe. Like, I mean, is that a little bit of peace that he gets? But I don't know. Well, I, I mean, mean what's going through Ned's head? He just head? sees that she's gone, right? I mean, yeah. does he even know that his well, dude got to her? I can't uh, think of his name at the Yorin. moment. Yorin. Yorin. Actually got to her. So, and if, if if you're like Jim, this is the guy who uh, rode south of Tyrion on a recruiting. He's he's here to recruit men for right uh, the, for the watch. Yep. Um, I don't know. As I've always wondered, like, what is what is that Ned actually thinking about? Uh, you could read yeah. the books to, to to find out more. But uh, is, is that a POV uh, in the books? Do we get a lot of? I'm not, yeah, it is. But man, uh, goddamn, you shouldn't ask me that because well, I, I don't want you to. Tell I couldn't us. tell you if it was Arya or Ned's. Oh, okay. Um, whose whose perspective this is all from? Right. Or if you get both, or maybe yeah, both. It it might go from Ned to Arya. Um, in in the next scene, who knows? Uh, so what? I mean, what do you think is going to happen to Arya? I mean, she she's going to get her apparently in the hands of the the. What, what would you call like an ambulance chaser who's down in the dungeons <laughs> looking for? business a uh, recruiter for the night's watch i guess but yeah i know what you're talking I guess that's about how they do it, but i mean is she going north well, with him is, the other is thing is take her to the wall this is arguably 
a breaking of his vows, he's not supposed to get involved. As, as, a, as a sworn brother of the Night's Watch, he's not supposed to take part in any of the affairs of the realms of, you know, he's, he's, he guards the entire realm. He's not for any particular government. So huh. by, I mean, you know, this debate, like, that's something I'm kind of curious to see what people think about in the next episode. I'm baiting feedback, probably a terrible idea, but um, I, I've, I, I did some research into the state of the debate and there's like, seems to be two schools of thought. One, this is a person showing mercy to a, a innocent child mm-hmm. and that, you know, and he, and he knew what the repercussion for her would be. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, not taking sides or, or, or being passive is also kind of taking a side. So he was trying to do something like, you know, like just genuinely because he's a good person. He's an honorable person. Right. But then a very extremist view would be like, well, you know, he's meddling. He's, he's meddling in the, the politics and this might have repercussions. Right, like Arya grows up and she leads a host of northern pissed off northern men. Like that could have a consequence to the realm. Sure, uh, I, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. He could just like send her on her way somehow. Just be like, yeah, you know what? I've done as much as I can yeah. without breaking my vows here. I'm still here to recruit. I'm gonna do my job, but I I want you to leave. I'm gonna give you passage, something like that. Yeah. Um. I, I honestly don't know what he does with Arya. Um, he's enforcing this whole boy thing because it seems like that she's been mistaken for a boy several times, so they're just leaning into that. Right. That'll be interesting to see. Uh-huh. But that's about it. That's all I've got. Yep. Hey, before we get to feedback, something I wanted to uh, talk about. It's kind of a bald move tradition when we hit certain milestones as far as our download numbers to do like something to kind of commemorate it. And lo and behold, we've hit another milestone, 20 million downloads. That's... 20 million times has our podcast been downloaded and, t- and, and listened by people. I literally don't believe it. I need to go check the numbers because I think you're fooling. It was just a year, not even a year ago, that we did 10 million. So, yeah. And that was of all Bald Move history. So like things keep getting faster. I'm not sure when the next milestone will be. But uh, we're 21 going to... 21 million. 21 gonna... <laughs> We might have already hit that. Yeah. Uh, twenty. So we're going to have another Q&A fest. Now, we've done this about three times in our history uh, for other milestones, we did once for a like a Kickstarter type of uh, backer reward. Uh, if you go to the the about section of Bald Move, there's a baldmove.com. There's an about button. Uh, all those things are kind of collected. And we did like a, another thing we did is a, a Reddit AMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're gonna do it again. And you know this is like nothing new for a lot of the club members. You know they can go weekly onto our lunches and and our cocktail hours or on the rocks and, and ask us questions. And there's a VIP section. We're fairly active on on the forums. But uh, if if you don't get the, a chance to uh, indulge in that stuff and you've got something you've been wanting to ask us or you want uh, an idea you want us to kick around or just really it can be anything. Uh, it doesn't have to do specifically with movies or television or Game of Thrones, although it can if you want. Uh, send that to qa at baldmove.com or there's going to be a thread on the forums that's stickied that is also for the, the hub for the, uh, the 20 million download fest. So we are going to collect questions over the next week or two, and then uh, before October have uh, a, a Q&A podcast. We'll also release on a video form if you want to finally get the chance to see what we look like. I know that's always a source of fascination, too. Like, you guys don't look anything like Aaron's way fatter and older and grizzled than I've imagined. <laughs> and Jim's even better looking. Uh, yep. I'm that, the Jamie those... Lannister of this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm the the misshapen. I'm not a dwarf. I'm the misshapen. You're the Hodor. Hodor. Come on, yeah. yeah. 
Hodor. Let's mix no words here. Hodor. But, you know, we, we saw we saw what Hodor was rocking last episode. It wasn't too bad. So. I, sure. Yeah, another thing I have in common with them. Uh, <laughs> QA at baldmove.com, or again, there's a thread on the forums. Uh, join us in our, our 20, 20 million download extravaganza. We'll probably drink and answer questions and expound on stuff that the, the listeners want us to. Also, if you want to get on that on a weekly basis, again, there's the club. It's a thing, club.baldmove.com, when the mini benefits, aside from ad-free feeds... Uh, our, our special content that we do. It's kind of like a listener variety show. We show up with a couple topics. We take some Q&A from the audience. And uh, good times had by all. Also, Amazon. Amazon.baldmove.com. Great way to support us. We actually had like a... Last week, we had like a non-Christmas record. Yeah. No, it was a like good Like out of good nowhere. Like everybody was, was just really pounding on the Amazon. So thank you, thank you. That does a long way of helping us meet our revenue goals and stay in business. So yeah. uh, thank, I've been asking all season. You know, again, you guys, seems like a lot of people realize that the only reason they're getting the extended rewatch is because we're able to do this as a, on a full-time gig. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way to keep it going is to, to keep supporting us. Club.baldmove.com and Amazon.baldmove.com. What do we have for feedback? First up, Alexander F. So just a quickie, but how did the great houses amass their wealth? It doesn't appear the small folk pay taxes, right? These folk must offer something other than target practice for high lords, uh, for high lord swords and swords. Just curious. Um, I mean, this is this is you. Ha- if you want to know more, you'd have to look up feudalism on Wikipedia. But essentially, it's a fuck you, pay me system where the king says to his lords paramount. Paramount, which would be, you know, the Aarons, it'd be the Starks, it'd be the Lannisters, it'd be the Tyrells, uh, probably the Greyjoys, and I know I'm missing, oh yeah, the the Martells. Hmm. Uh, he'd be essentially, like, there is a levy against them, and they have to give so many troops, and so many of their crops, so much of their, their wealth. And then the Lords Paramount would have the fuck you, pay me relationship with their lords, where, like, okay, right. you've, you've had a good year, well, I need my cut. And then those lords themselves are are responsible for their their they've got their knights and their minor lords that have holdings and so on and so forth. And you get down to the small folk, which are essentially uh, sharecropping, like they're 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 raising fields, but they don't own the land and 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 they're tending the flocks that they don't really own, and they have to give all that. They get to to take what they need to survive, and then tie the rest to. Uh, the, the Lord. So it all kind of, it's tribute that all flows upstream. Right. Uh, so that's how it's, it's, I mean, it's, pyramid it's it is, t- it is, it's taxation. I think they would call that taxes. Okay. Um, and also it seems like there's a little bit of uh, modern econ- ec- economics because like we've seen, you know, Littlefinger, how he's like investing and leveraging the crown's assets. And that's how he can get like, you know, gold dragons out of nowhere. And he's wheeling and dealing and doing loans and buying things on credit. And, so right. that's probably more more complicated than you'd get in a truly medieval society, but, you know, makes it more interesting, too. Uh, Maharan H. said, Rewatching season one made me think of something. When did Benjen Stark join the Night's Watch? If it was before Brendan and Lyanna died, it wouldn't be that surprising that he chose that as his calling as the fourth child and third son. But it was after they died and he suddenly became the next adult heir heir to Winterfell since Rob was a baby. Wouldn't it make more sense that they would want him around to help rule until Rob grew up if Ned was to die in battle? For for as we know, there must always be a Stark in Winterfell. And then also there's the possibly politically advantageous marriage that is no longer an option because he's a Night's Watchman. Do you have any insight on that, Jim? 
Is it possible he took the black after Ned got done with his rebellion stuff? That so I have no idea. Like, that's honestly. the thing. The books, the books are they 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 get the background that Benjen was a Stark in Winterfell when Rob or I'm sorry when Ned was was off to war. Okay. So, so it must have been after that. It would make sense if he took the black when, you know, uh, Brendan and Ned were still, because he's the third son of a, of a major house. Okay. Um, so, like, you know, that's third and fourth sons often join the Night's Watch to find themselves some honor and glory. Mm-hmm. Why did Benjen? And the books don't really answer that question. Um, Wait, is he older than Ned? Uh, he is younger no, than Ned. Younger than Ned. Okay. Because if he was older than Ned, he'd be the one. He'd be the Lord. So of the you're saying because he's not a third or fourth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that it makes no sense. Well, it like he's the only backup. If if he went before Brendan was killed by the Mad King, it mm-hmm. would make sense because he's the third son. Now he's the second son. So like, there's no, so there's, no there, backup. there's no backup yeah. for and 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 the books say that he joined the Black after Ned returned from war. So like, what the fuck? Maybe they thought it was safe. At that point, like, well, I'm not going to be the dude at Winterfell. I don't know. I mean, this many of us, like, you know, plagues I, and stuff, that's like, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of debate. I think a lot of the, the debate gets spoilery, so maybe we can talk about it more in the spoiler section okay. now that I've introduced the topic. But maybe, maybe it's something we should be wondering about. Uh, Catelyn T. said, could you explain how Rob won in this episode? I'm no military strategist, and I'm confused about what happened. Were Rob and a few others in the 2000? Was their primary objective to kidnap Jamie and this fight was a diversion? How did Jamie, such a great swordsman, get captured? Uh, so we've alluded this as the Battle of the Whispering Woods, and to find out all about it, you'd have to consult the wiki of, of, of Ice and Fire. But, yeah, you did, the latter interpretation is correct. The 2000 was a feint that then Rob... The committed took, the bulk of the committed Tywin's the, troops. And, and and Rob was then able to take Jamie by surprise. Right. Um, cut him off from retreat. And then the books make it explicit that, um, and this may be what your girlfriend is referring to, that Jamie made a last-ditch effort to ride towards Rob's position and kill him in single combat, him and his guards oh, and retainers. Jesus. Which kind of paints Jamie in a flattering light. You know, this was his big opportunity, right? Uh-huh. I'm making you essentially second in command of our forces. You have an entire division to command, and you go and you fuck it up. I mean, maybe after he fucked that up, he decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it here right. because and, my father's not going to respect me even if, if I come back and just sure. lose. I think that that makes the uh, – but on the other hand, you got yourself captured. Right. That was now so, so I still think ultimately you're going to look stupid in front of Tywin. Anyway. I think you'll look even stupider now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's a great swordsman. But as he mentioned, that they killed Tin, like mm-hmm. in in the, their their attempts to the the capture him. So like he's a great swordsman. But this is yeah. still a fairly grounded in reality universe. You can't, you know, the Starkmen are not going to like you know American ninja you and uh, attack in single file, right. and you can be overwhelmed. And the fact that you killed ten dudes, uh, the cap that you traded your life uh, or your freedom, uh, pretty pretty steep cost there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's that. I think I think you you understood it better, and you, you gave yourself credit for it, Caitlin. Uh, Maxar said one commentator on your past show wondered how Ned would claim legitimacy if he had sat on the Iron Throne following the death of the Mad King. I strongly suggest everyone who's asking questions about the minutia of royal succession in Westeros to study their history because history is full of examples of the person with the best opportunity, the strongest army, claiming to rule and making up the reasons for the claims afterwards. I would even sure. go further, Max, and say they should read. 
a, a Song of Ice and Fire for the Roberts Rebellion is a perfect example. Like, there right. is no line of succession that made that possible. That was just an outright rebellion, and they stacked up the swords and men and the ones that had the best uh, quantities and the best troops and the luck on their side won. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Um, but, yes, there are plenty of historical examples that he's, he's uh, helping us with here. Three of his favorites, uh, Tokugawa... Ayasu, the most famous shogun of Japan, straight up made it up that he had a connection to one branch of the imperial family before he became shogun. He gained power after making peace with a potential rival and then was appointed regent for that rival's son. When the rival died, instead of taking care of the five-year-old son, he just marched his troops to the castle and said, Tough luck, kid. Yeah, I don't know why you even need to make up a story. Just say, I'm not. I'm not in succession here. I took it motherfuckers well, if you want to take it back bring it i just beat you all i do think that's the important <laughs> like the story you tell the the you could do that but you're asking you're, you're essentially having some legitimacy people, right? yes I, it, it, it coats the bitter pill with a little bit of sugar i guess where like you know pe- i still think the people would swallow that pill the people as long then, as you're not a shit to them like as yeah. long as you don't shit all over them once you become king or whatever yeah or shogun or I, I just don't know that I would even need a story. I would just say, yeah, I did it. Uh, Didius Julianus became emperor of Rome after Praetorian Guard, roughly comparable to the King's Guard, killed the previous emperor for not paying them enough. They then offered the throne to the highest bidder, who was Didius. Didius. Highest and bidder, okay. So you can buy your way to the throne? Buy your way the, to the throne. Littlefinger. Yeah, Littlefinger, <laughs> get in on that. Uh, and then, according to some historians, Darius I became emperor of Persia after killing the legitimate heir and claiming that the legitimate heir was, in fact, an imposter who had himself killed the heir. Darius was then son of a powerful general, but he had no actual connection to the royal family before gaining the throne through trickery. If this stuff can happen in real life, why can't it happen in the universe of dragons and the undead? Again, sure. uh, it has happened in this universe. The the fact that Aegon I was called the Conqueror implies that it's happened before then. There were seven kingdoms. There's now one kingdom. Yeah. That did not happen democratically. That did not happen because everyone had their family lineages fucked up. That happened because three badasses with giant dragons came over and fucked up Westeros. So, right. you know, I've, I, I have to say this about every six podcasts, but, like, I really don't care about the lineages and, and people's claims and trying to figure out what's going to happen based on that. Right. Because you got to fight the battles and you got to do the machinations and you got to play politics before you're in a place where you can sell the story of why your ass should be on the Iron Throne. Does Robert even try to sell it or does he just give birds to everybody and say, I took it? No, like we said, the, you know, when they all sat together, they had a you know the meeting of the minds of Ned of Robert or of John Aaron and Robert, and they all said, "Well, you're which one of us is best, right? Who's but, yeah, you you're you're the more personable guy. Uh-huh. You slew the last king's son in personal combat, and also your great grandfather was a Targaryen. So so that's how, okay. They do have a, yeah. a kind of story here. Yeah, but that's it. That's just the story. If if uh, okay. you know. Uh, sure. Robert was more like his brother Stannis, maybe Ned would have been the one because, you know, his great-great-grandfather married a Targaryen. Because everyone's married to everybody. Sure. So, like, you go back enough great-greats, you've got some kind of, you know, Targaryen blood in your your veins if you need it. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, But yeah, it's it's not, the the secession stuff really doesn't, that, that only matters in peacetime. When war, you throw that shit out the window, and then mm-hmm. whoever's got the strongest claim is made after the fact. 
Uh, that's all the non-spoiler emails we got. We can go right to the spoiler section if you'd like. Okay. If people want to send emails, how do they do that? Real easy. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. The pop three interface takes care of the rest. Uh, or you can go to forums if you prefer to HTTP protocol. You can go to forums.baldmove.com and uh, talk with your fellow fans there. Okay. We'll be back for the season finale next week for anyone who's not joining us in the spoiler section. If you are, uh, we'll be back right after the music. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. And we're back with the spoiler section. What do we have this week? I want to revisit that question about um, binging. Binging's thing because yeah. I never really thought about this, and I, I I fell into a little bit of a research hole this morning. Uh, it turns out that there's the the most popular theory is that Bingen, as the youngest son and the one that was closest to Liana, actually understood the fact that she was not being kidnapped and raped to death and all that stuff. Like, which is the the popular story that Robert spread about the mm-hmm. you know. Um, Rhaegar Targaryen running off with the sister, um, and he actually helped her escape from Winterfell and covered up that mm. whole thing. So he took the black, and there's nothing to substantiate this. This is just a theory, right? Um, that but that he took the black partially because he felt such guilt that his actions plunged the realm into so much blood and chaos. Mm-hmm. This is kind of his way to atone for that sin. Because you're right, it doesn't make sense if you're going to take the black. You would have taken the black before the rebellion, not afterwards when you're literally next in line for the throne. Yeah. Now, and I wonder too if Ned didn't already have sons at that point. Uh, you know, because because he father he he got cat pregnant, who, and she eventually gave birth to Rob before he left for war. I still sometimes wonder if if Ned hadn't had any male heirs, if Benjen wouldn't have waited. But I don't know. Okay. I, after reading all the different theories and stuff, it seems like that's that's the case that 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 uh, Benjen was complicit in her abduction slash romantic elopement, and uh, he hmm. felt bad about it. Interesting. If you got a, 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 by the way, if you got a better theory, I'd like to hear it because this is kind of like kind of fresh, fresh stuff that I, I dug up this morning. Not new theory craft by any, but just a new uh, avenue of inquiry. Uh, as we usually do, do you have any things you want to talk about? Like, just I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot we probably could talk about. I mean, do you know more about where Arya goes? Because I can't remember. I know she goes on the run with a few kids, but I don't remember how that happens yeah so like jack and yeah yorin ends up walking off with a bunch of recruits and some some you know beggars uh and uh aria pretends to be a boy ari Mm -hmm. and she goes with that wagon train until there's some lannisters that come to go the go look for her and then like yorin has this awesome last stand involving crossbows and uh that's how she enters into the service of tywin lannister right She's captured, but no one suspects that she's uh, Arya Stark. Right. Um, I thought there was some fascinating details about this Miri Mazdur character. Who? Um, Miri Mazdur, she's the witch. She's oh. the mad guy that is uh, uh, poisoning Drogo and killing Danny's baby or trying to save their life. That's another thing I'm baiting feedback for. I've seen a lot of theories both ways. Was Miri Mazdur trying to kill Drogo... Or was she trying to save his life and Drogo's own pig-headedness and refusal to take her medical treatment uh, end up doing him in? 
if either of those are true, did she, was she responsible in twisting and uh, Danny's baby and leading to it being stillborn? Uh, is she an oppor- it, was, was she an opportunistic killer or was she like a killer that was like you know started from the jump? And it seems like there's a lot of debate around that, and I think it's all interesting. So maybe we can talk about that next week. But what's cool about her is that um, she said that she learned her uh, trade and healing from Marwin, the archmaster at the Citadel, mm-hmm. who's known in the books as Marwin the Mage. He's one of the few maesters that gives a shit about the, the, the magical studies. And also that Kyburn mentions that he was one of his acolytes as well, that he said that all the other maesters scoffed or derided my research except for Marwin. It's interesting that you know these guys are have these various different magic all that that can then bring people back to the dead like mm-hmm. we'd see that Cal Droga essentially becomes a zombie next episode is right. that because she hadn't perfected Kyburn's techniques like like where is the it's, hmm. it's weird it's, it's interesting that there's I mean, like a common parentage from this this tree of knowledge and it all points back to Marwin right which who we might end up meeting next next year i don't know i mean does does how the mountain looks, does how Gregor looks uh, and acts kind of inform that at all? Or I mean, he's definitely a lot more with it than Drogo. Seems like it, yeah. Um, maybe Drogo is just the, the hardware is there, but the operating system hasn't quite been hammered out. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how much it was fucked up by Danny going in that tent. Like, True. There's, there's a lot of stuff that maybe got in the way of proper procedure here. Right, and that's where, that's the central conceit is... I think it's it's unquestionable that Miri Mazdur took pleasure in the fact that the House of Drogo and Danny fell. Hmm. Okay. But was she the cause of it, or did she was she trying to do her best, and it just all f- got fucked up because of various reasons? Right. I think that's the interesting thing, you know. Um, because if she's a healer, even if she would personally want to see the person die, that you know, if she she does like the Hippocratic oath, which <laughs> didn't exist back then, but like the Witchocratic, there was there oath. was a you know, there's an equivalent. The Maesters all had a kind of a, the a, a, a similar thing. Um, uh-huh. and the other thing, uh, there was a theory that the Miri Mazdur, uh, the Mazdur is a bastardization of the word Maester. Okay. So like that, she kind of saw herself as a maester, but it was got it got corrupted in the translation from the common tongue to Dothraki or whatever the other, uh, you know, nomadic steppe people's uh, language. Uh, well, that was a new thought when I was doing research for this episode. Hmm. But it's interesting that she's connected to these these maesters and and uh, you know what kind of what kind of healing or death magic was she really doing here? Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is there's. Danny never gets a chance to do any real soul searching because like here at the end of this episode, when she's going to potentially be left with nothing, like the blood riders lead the whole Kalisar lead. She only has the sick and the weak and her insanely faithful. Uh, and then she does accidentally does a bit of blood magic and gets gifted dragons, which feeds into her delusions of grandeur. Right. Would she be a more interesting character if she actually had to reflect, you know, on, the mistakes she's made. Cause like you said, she, I she, think so. Yeah. I mean, we don't see that until what season five where and even then where things the sl- continually, even when things get down and doubt, like they always work out for and seem to feed into her God complex. Right. And they do. And you know, I mean, everybody needs a dose of luck, but yeah. yeah, I, I think it's not till much, much later where she starts to really think about the choices she's making and the cost of trying to implement what are obviously good ideas mm-hmm. like freeing all the slaves great idea right uh 
how are you going to do that? And she she makes some mistakes there. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it is, an, is a much more interesting character. And it's why I don't care much about Danny as a character at the beginning of this. It'd be interesting. Because like, she's lucking into everything. Like, well, she's had some bad luck. Don't right. get me wrong. The beginning of her life is fucking bad luck. But now luck has turned, and it's not really her doing. She's not... Right. She's not... I feel like the more interesting characters are Littlefinger or whatever, where sure. they're conscious of what they're doing, and sure. Varys, where they're conscious of what they're doing. I think it's it's, it's interesting because like some of those questions about like yeah, slavery good, bad, you know, freedom good. Mm-hmm. It's interesting in the context of like you imagine uh, Danny invading like 18th century America, right? Like, does she kill George Washington and Thomas Jefferson? And sure. how do we feel about that? I'm sure there's some people that are like, well, fuck them, they were slaveholders, right? Um, but also that was a legal institution. Some of them had complicated feelings about it or trying to, in their small way in that and making compromises. And if they'd known that some bitch on three dragons would have come over and end it all, maybe they would have been on her side. And she struggles right. with some of that because, you know, I think we're supposed to lead, let be led to believe that she killed a lot of benevolent wise masters. Yeah, uh, probably. But yeah, and she doesn't like that's the one thing she doesn't in the books. I guess she does maybe too much soul searching and navel gazing and and wondering huh. if she's making the mistakes that her fathers made before her. But we don't this get a lot on? of that in the show. Like like this early oh, on. Oh no no no. Oh okay. No, this early on we're still like oh fucking awesome. Danny's this uh, you know she's she's the David to the Goliath and she's the but you know she turns into Goliath towards the end. Yeah, I just I'm not sensing that David thing much i mean like yeah she's an underdog certainly do you really thought she was so, arrogant in this episode because i thought she was she's just scared I, I thought she was a little yeah a little overconfident hmm. in her powers okay um I, I agree she is also scared and that's probably why she's doing a lot of this but she's also extremely naive and i don't necessarily fault her for that she's yeah. a young kid yes uh especially in the books but i i just like i hate to see her making decisions based on Thing, the way she thinks things should be as opposed to the way things are. Mm. And, and then she the, never really has to pay the price because there's, well, I mean... She always gets the She did lose her beloved husband and she loses her child, but like... Uh, well, that she, never felt right either because it's a fucking forced relationship and I get it. They right. grow to yeah, love yeah, yeah. each other, but man, that still feels icky. And yeah, like, yeah. Just none of this with Danny really comes together in the early going for me. Hmm. Well, it's not until like much later where she starts to make real choices with real consequences and understands them that I think she's an interesting character. Well, and, and honestly, I was kind of over Danny in the season two, and I've been read the books. So I'm like, oh my god, this shit in Marine. And it wasn't until I read this one blog. I, I can't remember who did it, but it was it's called Untangling the Miranese Knot. Um, mm-hmm where this guy wrote these series of essays kind of ex- exploring the deeper underlying political things happening in Marine that you kind of gloss over if you're just impatient to get back to the next awesome John or Arya chapter. Uh-huh. I was guilty of that the first time through. <laughs> um, that I started appreciating what they were trying to do with her character. Okay. And it takes, you know, fairly late in a series before, you know, that's a common that's a common complaint about Game of Thrones is like, oh my god, this Danny thing is just nothing but a tease and we're never going to get any satisfaction. Right. Um, but yeah, I. But but it's also I do appreciate how Game of Thrones is layered in a certain kind of way. Where yeah, you might have a character that's kind of on the back burner and mm. kicking their heels up and not doing much. But at the same time, you've got three other characters who right. are kicking ass or getting their asses kicked, and you love them or you hate them. Right. And there are plenty of other things to focus on while this other character is 
kind of taking a back seat. But to your point, I think it's it's fundamentally harder to connect with the character who makes poor decisions and puts himself in a situation where they should lose and they win because of some magic. Right. Yeah. You know, like you got magic dragons now and now you're in the clutches of the warlocks and you're able to summon your magic dragons and they burn the warlocks to death and Right. You know, that's that happens quite a bit. But Yeah. On the other hand, she saves herself because also she saves herself sometimes because of the type of person she is. The reason she she might have died early goings in season three, except for Sir Barris and Selmy sought her out because she was so admirable and he wanted to put herself out of her. So he saved herself from an assassination attempt. Jorah saves her from an assassination attempt. Those are because right. of the, the person she is. Yeah, so, that's true. I don't know. It's, it's a, a lot to think about. Uh, shall, we get, shall we get to the listeners and see what they have to, to say? Yeah. Uh, Amber F. After seeing many incarnations of various trials in the show on rewatching the episode, I'm now faced with many questions. Why did Joffrey have supreme rule in this matter? Why was he not judged by three parties as Tyrion was for a much more serious crime of regicide? When Joffrey said to take his head, couldn't Ned have immediately demanded that he wanted a trial by combat? <laughs> it seems like in all other cases, especially when dealing with a notable figure such as the head hand of the king would be, it would be necessary to give them a proper trial. He's not some dick wiggler that can just get his head busted into a wall. Why did it have to end like that? So the, you're in stage one of of grief, denial, Amber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this. Why did Joffrey have supreme rule in the matter? He's the king. He's the fucking king. Doesn't ma- Everything else doesn't matter. The difference between... The, the, the clear-cut difference between this situation and the situation of Tywin is at that time, Joff was dead. Um... His his brother Tommen was the king, but he was not like he still had a uh, a, a, a regent. He was not right. truly in control yet. And and between Tywin and and uh, you know I know jo- or Cersei wanted to be that regent, but but Tywin is the guy. So I think he had this council because the, the show deference to the fact that he's kind of acting on the king's behalf. Also. He had a vested interest in this Tyrion thing. Like, if Ty... The other thing is, so, you gotta understand, if Tywin me... were here, none of this would have ever happened. Oh, God, no. He would have grabbed Joff by the throat. <laughs> uh-huh. He would have spanked him with the... He would have... I don't... You can't do that. Obviously. But he would have never let it get to this point where Joff gets to make the thing. He yeah. would have been like, I have spoken to the king, and he he has told me that uh, the realm needs mercy as well as justice, and it would have just... Everything smoothly would have happened the way it was supposed to happen. Yep. Tywin would have never have fucking given an open mic to Joff. <laughs> no, never. Definitely not. Can you explain to me what they're talking about in season three Tywin thing? Oh, yeah. So, so I, yeah. Uh, during I don't remember. T- Tyrion goes on trial for ki- killing Joffrey, right? Okay. And, right. and, and Tywin and he... is, is, is a, like a, a panel of judges that is judging this trial. Why doesn't right. this just go to the king? Well, because sure. Tommen's not a king by his own right yet. Right. Um, the other thing is, why couldn't Ned de- de- decide trial? Con- he just fucking confessed. Yeah. His guilt or innocence was not in question. It was just now time for the punishment, and the king gets this this, this say on that. So yeah. if jo- if if he had demanded trial by combat when Sans, you know, he got called up there and Sans was given the wink, wink, nod, nod. That would have been an interesting question. Yeah, what happens if he does? I mean, so... I think he has to be granted it. Uh, let me also ask you this. Where does the idea of the trial by combat spawn from? Is that a religious thing? Because you're judged by the gods, right? But that's the new gods, not the old ones? Uh, or is it all the gods? Well, I know for a fact it's the fa- it, the seven supports that. And also the red god but supports it. I don't know. Because he might just not consider that an option. 
because it's be. not his gods who support that. In thing. this instance, um, he's already confessed. There's no way he could right. talk himself out of it. Like if if Tyrion had confessed to the crime of trying to murder John Aaron and and uh, 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 a Bran and all the other things he was accused of, he wouldn't have been able to call for a trial of combat either because right. the trial's over. You confessed. Uh-huh. Um, so but yeah, if he had said, "Hey, I'm not going to confess. Instead, I want a trial by combat." I think that would have worked. Now, who is but the champion? aftermath? Right, like let's say he wins that battle, right? Right. What does the aftermath of that look like? That's... Do Cersei and Joffrey just throw up their hands? and Go, oh well. I think the aftermath. I, I think that at this point, <laughs> there's nothing that could have stopped other than the smooth transition of Ned taking the Black. Nothing would have stopped the civil war. And even right. then, that's forestalling it because Varys and Illyrial clearly have something cooked up their sleeve. They're just right. not ready for this quite yet. Yeah. So I I, did, I just think that there's this was a pressure cooker ready to blow up, and there's nothing that anybody could have done to stop it long term. Yeah. And if they had, still the White Walkers to come in and kick the shit out of everybody eventually too. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's why Joff had the ultimate say, and also why Ned couldn't have demanded trial by combat because the trial was over. It was in the sentencing phase. Uh, Tony S. asks, Why couldn't Rhaegar Targaryen just ask the Starks of Winterfell for Lyanna's hand instead of taking her without permission? <laughs> I'm sure he could have convinced the Starks that Lyanna was the key to bringing the prince that was promised into the world and how that prince would serve, uh, save the realm from the invasion of the White Walkers. Uh, my question is, could he? Like, <laughs> I, That's assuming a lot. Um, properly asking the Starks would have prevented Robert's rebellion. If the Starks denied Rhaegar's request, I'm sure he would have taken her anyway. However, having understood the prophecy, the Prince Rhaegar informed them Brandon's wild ways would have yielded, preventing him from going to King's Landing to commit treason. Do you think it would have made more sense to just ask? So that's another question that I've never really considered, and I did another inordinate amount of research about today, and people are... Robert was totally in love with her, though, right? That's like, the thing. She was so... she He would be... Cha- he would he would have to challenge Robert to yeah. personal combat, or Robert would have to assent, and he wasn't gonna. Right. So he'd have to challenge him to personal combat, where maybe he can, maybe he can't, but in, in, in real life... Uh, Robert is a fucking beast. Yeah. And he did, point of fact, defeat him on the battlefield with his Warhammer uh, <laughs> a year or so later. So Maybe it wouldn't have gone an option. <laughs> it wouldn't have gone well for Rhaegar. And a lot uh-huh. of the people debating this kind of put forth that that Rhaegar was totally convinced in this prince that was promised uh, 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 prophecy. And, and it's not that he didn't love Ilaria. In fact, there's a lot of people that think that Ilaria was kind of more... Uh, you know, she was in love with Rhaegar and she saw the wisdom of what he was preaching. So she wanted to make this happen as badly as she did, which is why hmm. she's a kind of a complicated, interesting character. Um, but the Liana believed in it too. So they played all this out in their head. Like, well, what if we challenge? And like, what if I lose? This is the way, like, if this is like of cosmic importance, if this is something that the, the people are going to need to survive the oncoming winter, then that's why you take this crazy, crazy risk of abducting her and plunging the realm in the war because you think it's that fucking important. He lived by the credo, ask for forgiveness, not for right. permission. Right. Yeah, I guess. I I hadn't considered that maybe he was kind of also scared of Rob. And then there's the other Robert. side of the debate. is like, well, why are we just rejecting the official line, which is that he just, uh, you know, abducted her and, and raped her to death? And the reason of that is you just kind of yeah. have to read the books. But yeah. when... Even Ned, when you get his POV chapters, he never seems particularly mad at Rhaegar. He kind of sees Rhaegar as a noble person, and he's kind of you know put out that Bobby B's 
you know, obsessed with them still and has this hard on for revenge against all Targaryens. You think of uh, Barristan Selmy uh, and what high regard he had Rhaegar and how the people loved him. It just he doesn't seem like the type of guy who would just pick a woman out of the crowd, kidnap her and rape her to death. Hmm. The okay. only one that has that opinion is, ba- is is Robert Baratheon and the people that would not be able to say otherwise to his face. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, if, if anyone else has any other ideas about that, I would entertain him next week. But it seems like he and Lyanna were convinced and they didn't want to truck with anything that would interrupt uh, the fulfillment of this prophecy. Okay. Uh, Jesse W. says, hey guys, I'm a bit behind here, but in your Season 1, Episode 5, spoiler feedback, someone asked if it's possible that Thoros inadvertently sacrificed King's blood when killing Balon's sons during the Greyjoy Rebellion. You said you're not sure if that theory is falsifiable, but also noted that it's not a popular theory. The thing is, Baratheons are actually related to Targaryens. Uh, Gendry's blood is a whole lot more important than any mere usurper who calls himself king like the Greyjoys. Mm-hmm. Note that I don't actually know the Iron Islands lore, so it could be the Greyjoys are also related ancient kings. And you would be <laughs> Somewhere right. Somewhere back there. Yeah. All these fuckers were kings. Yeah. All the Starks, all the Lannisters, all the... T- uh, well, the Tyrells weren't. That's a little bit more complicated. They're actually recent usurpers themselves hmm. uh, of the High Garden. Uh, right. All the Martells, all those people were, were, were princes and kings in their own right before the, the Targaryens came. Uh, so this relates to a thought I'd had for so long throughout the series before I found out how the Baratheons related to Targaryens. I wondered how, what, or what about King's blood was important. I wondered why the blood of some lord who happened to overthrow an empire and take the reins, Robert, would then have inherent or latent power in it for people like Melisandre to use. If it did work like that, then yes, we could imagine that anyone big enough to take power and call himself king for some reason caused their blood to flow with magical properties. <laughs> I think you're. I think you might be digging too deep on a magical subject, but okay, I'm I know going it's your with favorite. it. Uh, however, <laughs> the relevation that Baratheons are an offshoot of the Targaryen bloodline, uh, I guess, puts the power of their blood to be more like. You know, I think we're supposed to view the Targaryens as special and that the 300-year dynasty was much more significant than some other person of lordly caliber taking power. I think A Song of Ice and Fire in general sort of focuses on their dynasty. And, man, Tywin, now you got me doing it. Their dynasty and pivots around it despite the universe therein as well as all sorts of work within the fantasy genre containing thousands of years of history and lore. Um so, oh God, I've tuned out. My eyes have gone. I'm, I'm I've skip, gone cross-eyed. I'm skipping ahead a few paragraphs. <laughs> okay. Uh, these questions are mostly all rhetorical. It's far more puzzling to imagine that any of the five kings vying for power in the War of the Five Kings could have blood capable of being used in magic rituals simply because they called themselves kings. Baratheons being related to Targaryen sure. solves this. The rest of the questions are simply thoughts on fantasy in general. Yeah. Uh, so basically, their the blood the Targaryen blood is extra special because of their dynastic rule. If not that, then he speculates any of us can have magically caused a murder simply by believing we deserve to be king and having some woman <laughs> bloodborne engorged uh, leeches for us. So I think he's pointing out how absurd all this is. Which if that's no, I what think your he's actually is, trying to solve an apparent absurdity, which that, I don't. It's impossible. Yeah, you're asking the impossible here because it is all made up. Like, right. I, I don't know what's special about the blood. I don't know what gives it its special qualities. I don't know if there are midichlorians involved. Sure. I don't care, well, honestly. Melisandre uses some of uh, Mance Raider's blood to do some blood magic because he's got king's blood, and she's concerned with his son because it's got king's blood flowing. When Ma- Mance was just a self-proclaimed, not even self-proclaimed, he was regarded as the king behind the wall, but none of his people 
like treated him like they didn't kneel before like he I, didn't even feel like he was yeah i mean like that's i i think the answer lies somewhere in the middle like there is something special about king's blood and that's, that's obviously but that's I, also something that's kind of like baked into some of the metaphysics of our of our real history like people considered things imbued by you know royal blood as special or have there's right. power and that's well that's why the whole fucking lines of secession and lineages and of keeping your bloodlines pure were important in the first place because it was like a real property that you were trying to magically conserve and sexually conserve so but like you said i'm more of the line like none of this we don't know still five books and six seasons enough about the magic world to say one way or another. So sure. I go back to this still being an unfalsifiable theory. And if you want to get into that and try and explain it, you got to go the midichlorians route. And right. then people are just going to be up in arms about it again for a different reason. It's like, yeah, like there's is, no way to win that battle. Just go like, okay, King's blood. And if anything in the show indicates that this person might have King's blood, yeah, regardless of what that means or right. how it happens, Go with it. <laughs> well, yeah, and the real question is, like, you could go down for one further abstraction and be like, is this blood magic work because of its mechanics? Right. Like, is this essentially an alchemy type of chemistry where you do – you mix this substance and you do this and you put your penis in here and boom, a shadow of a baby comes out? <laughs> Or, or are you beseeching the gods and you can kind of get the words wrong, but if the gods are with your cause, they're going to make their power happen? Do the gods have intelligence? Are they some impersonal force? Right. You don't know any of that at this point. Yeah. So and how you can can't. you say? Yeah. How can you say? Um, right. Which is why I throw my hands up at all fantasy and magic and religion and shows. <laughs> right. But faster than light travel, you're cool with. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Joel Harris says, I have a question related to the books. Is there a specific book character that you would like to see in the show or were disappointed to see excluded from the show? Well, I know they can't portray every single named character on screen. I was kind of hoping to see at least a glimpse of Butterbumps. Um, Whoa, so wait. Butterbumps. Butter if, I, if, I, if you had to guess of what type of character he was. Well, you don't have a background in the books and they've really. Butterbumps. So he's a fool. Like like a court okay. gesture, and there's a lot of court gestures in Game of Thrones. But I'm right. just thinking, I don't think there's a single one other than Sir Dantos, who Joffrey turns into his fool. Like that's the only one in the in 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 the series that we actually see. There's, yeah, there's not a, a a really complete or replete history of fools in the actual HBO series. Uh, but Butterbumps was the fool and jester of House Tyrell. Uh, he's super fat. He can fart at will. Uh, oh Jesus! Yeah, I know. But the, the so the way they use him in the stories is: Do you remember that scene where uh, Lady Olena is trying to have a private conversation with Sansa and Marjorie about the type of person Joff is? Is it over lemon cakes? It, something like that. And and they she's got a, a way of kind of masking that dialogue. And I can't remember how it goes down in the show, but in the books. She requests this fool to just sing the bear and the maiden fair at an exceedingly loud volume oh, to to mask what she's trying to say to the spies. So it's like, okay, that's uh, that's the one Joel's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a huge favorite. My the closest one that I was kind of bummed that we didn't get to see is Strong Bellowus, um, who mm-hmm. is this really fat eunuch pit fighter, former slave that serves Danny. And he's got, like, cuts all over his body because his thing is he lets a man cut him and then he kills him. So, like, every cut on his body represents someone he's killed. Mm-hmm. And he's got a really sweet passage where, remember in Marine, how in the show um, they send out this challenger to single combat and Dario Nyquilis kills him? Yeah. 
in the book in the books strong bellless is that guy and he decapitates the guy then takes his pants off and shits shits on his corpse in oh, view gosh. of the city okay to send disrespect and to re- and it's also interesting because danny sent him as a former slave because she was reasoning shrewdly that if he loses they can't claim glory because they beat this guy this champion beat a slave right. if he wins and it's extra humiliating for marine because he just got beat by a slave mm-hmm. he's a colorful dude um also important because there's a poisoning plot uh that uh, they try to kill danny at the the, the great pits by poisoning her locusts and Strong Bellus really, really likes locusts, and he, like, eats them all before she can and gets super sick, which tips her off to that there's a threat on his life. None of this sounds particular. Aside from the, I'm the slave angle at the Wall of Marine yeah. there, none of that sounds particularly good. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I'm sure, like, Victorian gets a lot of rep yeah, because yeah. he's got this, you know, magical hand, and he's kind of a, a badass and Darth Vader type in his own right. I, I feel like the majority of the good characters make it onto the screen, so... That's my position. Hmm. Uh, Robert H. says, I believe Littlefinger tells Liza not to go to war. We were debating about why you want to know why she stayed in the Erie rather than summoning forth her banners and getting vengeance on his Lannisters. He cuts right to the chase. Hmm. Uh, he, she listens to virtually everything that Littlefinger says and is in love with him. If the Vale joins with Rob and they continue to do great, then how does that cause chaos? What ladder does that leave for Littlefinger to climb? If the North Vale and Erie combine forces, they plow through everyone, Right. I don't know. They still got to go against the two most powerful houses in the kingdom, the Tyrells and the Lannisters. Now, do the Tyrells join up with the Lannisters if that happens? These are all also, interesting mean, ripple effects. I, I don't know. I think taking out the ruling power causes chaos, but yeah, that's just me, especially when you've got a group of people who've proven they won't sit on the throne. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Robert's opinion is, I don't think Littlefinger gets as far as he does without the veil staying neutral, and it's totally plausible since Lysa is nuts, mm. and also he, the the sweet Robin angle. I mean, yeah, I think you're possible. right. I, sure. I think you probably... Does she march to war without sending a raven to ask for Littlefinger's permission? Or does Littlefinger just say, hey, go to the veil and stay there no matter what? Yeah, he might. he might have done that. Or yeah. he might have sent his own raven to say, right. hey... Uh, shit's gonna break bad, but you need to stay neutral up there. With his little uh, mockingbird wax seal. Yeah. Uh, Chris T says, listening to... Not Christy, Chris T. Listening to your recap and review the pointy end, I couldn't help but to think about my anatomy lessons in nursing school. Oh, boy. Are we ta- we're, ta- we're ready to talk about getting stabbed in the guts. Okay. Mainly when you're talking about how Arya is stabbing the boy at the stable, getting stabbed in herself in season six, and how the boy dies and she does not. If you forget all the plot aspects, knowledge of wound care after injuring a drunk husband and swimming through a filthy water, it's possible that the stable boy would indeed suffer quicker death when you look at where the stable boy was stabbed. Quicker. Wait, are we talking quicker or... Certain. I don't... Okay. She she says quicker. I'm just going to stay with her words. Mm -hmm. In the middle... Or his words, actually. In the middle of his abdomen. Running right... Look at that. I... I, I I don't know if Chris is a man or a woman, but oh, that's what's what's, yeah. what's what's instructive is I saw nursing and assumed it was a woman Shame because I'm a son of a bitch and I apologize. <laughs> uh, running right in front, okay, so he's stabbed in the middle of the abdomen. Uh-huh. Running right in front of the spine are the descending aorta and inferior vena cava. The former feeding uh, most of the lower body the oxygenated blood, and the latter collecting the deoxygenated blood from most of the lower, lower body. These are both okay. very big vessels that could uh, one could die fairly quickly if these are ruptured. 
Arya, on the other hand, was stabbed on the side of her abdomen with what appeared to be a dagger much shorter than needle. This was much less likely to hit the aforementioned blood vessels, even when twisted. Though Arya did lose some blood, the amount of blood in the stable boy, uh, the, the stable boy lost probably would have been much greater, and it would have uh, lost much faster. I okay. mean, you still got all the sepsis and the fact that yeah. she might have gotten her bowels perforated, and that ain't good and all that. Yeah, but... liver and uh, kidneys, I, all of that stuff's sure. over on the sides there. Sure. I feel like... But if you've been through medical school so, and you, you didn't raise any eyebrows at that stab, then who am I to say otherwise? Sure. And, and Chris says quicker, not necessarily non-fatal, right? right? Like, right. Arya's wounds aren't fatal. Right. Jinji uh, says, I wanted to get your opinion on this topic since rewatching the series and having Robert Baratheon back around again. You have talked about Robert is a shit king who only cares about whoring and drinking, and I completely agree. Okay, this is a very civil email. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> but... Do you think the situation would be different if he'd actually married Ned's sister? Obviously, he would have not been king, but do you think that he would have been a much better husband and ultimately father? Uh, Was the path of having to marry another woman and sit on the throne after seeking out vengeance on the Targaryens a final nail in his coffin? What do you think, I mean, I, I, after seeing this episode, would ask the same question of Tyrion. Did Mm. did having uh, the woman that he fell in love with when he was 16... Uh, raped in front of him and and discovered that she was a whore paid to love him. Did that change Tyrion? Mm. Certainly. I, I mean, I think those types of events, I mean, we see the, even in, I, I don't know. I mean, going back and rewatching, I really understand how much Robert loved Lyanna. Right. Um, and even to this very day before he was killed. Right. Uh, he still felt that. And I, I think, yeah, something like that would probably scar you for a long time. And it could very well change the course of your entire life. And, and it kind of did with Rob. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much of his behavior is reflective of that, but it seems like a good portion of it is. Right. And this is something where you're trying to analyze the psychology of a literary character. Um, but I'm going to give mm-hmm. my view, which is different from yours. Um hmm. It seems like in the books that, like, if you look at Ned's inner thoughts, I think that he was privately skeptical of whether Robert would have made a good husband to Lyanna. And more to the point, it seems mm-hmm. like Lyanna might have been, because she's not a stupid woman, and she's also not the type that's going to be put up with her husband whoring around and cheating on her and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, that Lyanna was kind of privately worried about that, too. That, that you know, Robert did not become a drunken whore master because of her death. He was a drunken whore master that thought that he could turn over a new leaf if he had the love of a good woman. Oh, okay. That, so, so okay. Now that's that, a little again, more information. That isn't hard. That that's 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 just my analysis of the facts that, and from a diff, from a POV of another character. Yeah, like and just... and and the fact that you know, would Robert have changed his ways with with if he if he genuinely loved Lyanna? You know, that depends on whether Lyanna loved her back, him back, and she eloped with Rhaegar. Again, my interpretations of what I've I've read and seen on the screen. Uh-huh. So I don't think that would have happened, uh, but I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe. I was under the impression that Rob was not that, that Robert was not the way he is now before the whole Liana thing went mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, if he was known for whoring it up and being a drunk and not giving a shit before then. Then clearly, yeah, that didn't help. No, I think it's fair to but say. I, that I think he it's much harder much to dark, change your yeah. ways because, like, you want the love of a good woman right. as opposed to like being changed by an unfortunate yes. event in your life. And that's the thing, because 
because because that I guess that you hit the nail on the head. I think he did change. He became a more uh, a much more darker, self-destructive person. Like mm-hmm. he was drinking and whoring because it was fun. Yeah. Now he's drinking and whoring himself to an early grave. That's a difference. Yeah, yeah. You sure. know, like there's one a self a self-destructive path that you're doing because you're hedonist, and there's another you're doing it because you're pissed off at the world. I think it changed him one from the other, but. You know, anytime you see like a, a, you know, like George Clooney gets married to some woman you never heard of, is everybody like, oh yeah, that's going to be a marriage that lasts forever? Mm-hmm. Aren't they already broken up? I could not tell you the status. If of I George did, Clooney's it would not surprise you. You've got like Leonardo DiCaprio. Nancy gets married sure. tomorrow. Yeah. You're going to be, oh yeah, it's going to be a long and happy marriage. Like, okay, this guy's an infamous. Uh-huh. woman eater and womanizer and he has had like models 20 at a time and god knows what kind of drugs and alcohol he's just going to just clean himself up right it's tough it's a tough sell yeah uh sure yeah. okay coming at it from that perspective yeah no i i don't know that it would have lasted sure um but i don't know it's it's like that's yeah like robert brathy not striking as like a jack nicholson type they're just <laughs> <laughs> not supposed to be married right. or have any kind of responsibilities fostered on them at all. Just <laughs> sit them courtside at the Lakers, and that's their their kind of best des- version of their destiny. <laughs> okay. Um, for the love of God, don't make them do a Irish accent. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> they won't. They You're right. Won't. They won't. They They'll just say, won't. fuck you, I'm Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, D, the, the enigma, the mysterious D. Uh, once more, I've heard, or more than once, I've heard you wonder if Martin plans a downbeat ending for a series. Mm-hmm. Comments he's made in his story collection, Dream Songs, which is a, one of his uh, infamous anthologies. And I guess he's got, I've never oh, read this man. book, but he's, he has like comments on the stories that he puts in here. And this, um, D sent me some um, scans that they had done of the actual uh, ver- book that they own. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, all that for background. Uh he gave them some insight into what he likes in his stories, this collection and the comments he makes on them. The line that what most reassures me is that Martin is not going to abandon us and all the Starks to the Boltons, the Lannisters and others is this. The quote is darkness is meaningless without light and horror is pointless without beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a bittersweet heroic ending seems more likely to me when I read that line. Another one that jumped out at me in this passage. Bob Ross that they said sent. that the other day in one of his shows. Did he? Yeah. When he's painting happy like little clouds. Episode three or four. Yeah, sure. Uh, G, uh, GR, George Martin said uh, in talking about his favorite types of story, he says the human heart in conflict with itself is his ideal version of a conflict. So if you take those two quotes together, right. darkness is used with that light, the human heart in conflict with itself. We've seen a lot of that. Like this episode hinged mm-hmm. on that, like Ned, yeah. his desire to maintain his nobility and honor to the end versus his love for his daughters. And you can already see, like, you know, John especially seems like he's been set up to where he's going to have to constantly choose between his duty and love. Mm -hmm. We see him have to – he's grappling that right now in this arc. He's going to have the same thing with Ygritte. He's going to have the same thing about what to do with the Night's Watch when they, you know, uh, want to abandon him and kill him. Um, And he's probably got at least, you know – one still coming to him. So I, I kind of agree. I've always been the whole bittersweet, happy ending. People that we love and care about are going yeah. to die and have to do sacrifice. And hardly anyone that we care about is going to be left standing at the end. But we are going to be, you know, the last book is supposed to be called A Dream of Spring. That implies okay. a bit of bit of a hopeful ending. Yeah. If we get it. That's another less less, less hopeful conversation. 
Do you realize that another three months, the wait for the Winds of Winter will be officially longer than the wait for A Dance of Dragons, which is already a historic wait in Game of Thrones standards? I don't. It's, it's going to be I six years. Have any up on six for years. This. Okay. Dance uh, with Dragons is the last one. Yep, that it's came the last out? one that came out. So, <laughs> and there is no hint that we're anywhere near this book being released. <laughs> there's also there's actually a crazy. There's some. Uh, Pretty probably diluted theories that what's taking so long is that George is trying to write both books at once. Oh god! And get all the stuff done, and then he can just drop them, and he can re- retire. I feel like that's yeah. that's that's some summer child shit that you guys are talking about. Yeah, that woof. I hope not. Yeah. Although, if it he would doesn't be have, interesting if, if he, he doesn't have the book out even announced by the end of next season, can we start talking about the fact that we might not get these books? Like seriously. Yeah, yeah, I think that's always a possibility on the table. Have you seen the man? He's not a sweet summer chicken himself. But he's only in his early 60s, too. He's, he's not, not in great shape. Yeah, but still. And he's a writer. He sits around all day doing nothing except writing. He goes to cons. Well, he goes well, to cons. That's dangerous. When a lot of walking at cons. That's yeah. good for a man's health. Well, it can be bad for a man in poor health. <laughs> Get him a little <laughs> work, too excited. Work something loose that's supposed to stay in yeah, place. yeah. Uh, I hope he has a long and healthy life ahead of him. I hope he finishes the, the fucking books. Yeah. But uh, I'm starting to think, yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Dan H., I'm writing to – this is the last email of the week. Um, I'm, will, I'm, I'm writing and responding to the emailer last week who thought the book was a much tighter version – or the show is a much tighter version of the books. After watching all six seasons for the past six years, I decided that even though uh, we have a longer off season, I will read the entire book season as well as rewatch along with you guys. So he's hmm. he's going to reread all the book series between now and next year. Wow. I couldn't disagree with the previous email or more. So far, I'm halfway into book two, and I'm loving every page of it. I find that reading the books after watching a series is like watching a director's cut of your favorite film. It's the same story, but there's so much, just so much more depth. I think mm-hmm. these seemingly unconnected plot line, pointless stories that characters tell and the meanderings are what make it come alive even more. After all, in real life, not every conversation you have and every action you take is significant. Do you think I can manage my goal to read all the books, not including the side oh, books, before man. next summer? Yeah, oh, easily. I think you can. Yeah. It's a big undertaking for sure. But get get, get, the, get Audible. Help you out so you can... You right. can but I, yeah, I, I, I don't think they're particularly challenging nor huge. It'd be like trying to read Harry Potter in a year. That's yeah. super easy to do. Right. But I also say that you have not hit the breaking point, Dan. Because um, I agree with you. I thought reading the first three books were just like, you know, singing in the shower. It was super easy and everything sounded great. Uh-huh. And then I got the feast and the wheels started to fall off. Um, hmm. And I found myself starting to skip like, oh, I don't give a shit about this Ariane. Fuck you, Ariane. Skip, skip, skip. Oh, here's Arya. Skip, skip, skip. Oh, here's Brienne. Um, Victorian, who's this fucking ass? Oh, God. Iron Island shit. Skip, skip, skip. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Cersei, she's crazy. Skip, skip, skip. It it gets a little bit th- those loose and meanderings. They get looser and meanderier. Mm. So let me know what you think after you get to Feast and Dragon because that's where you the the the, the dash of the narrative stops and it starts to get a little bit more ponderous. Um, but having said that, now that I've read them all again. I've read them. I've, I've read the whole series through twice now. Um, and I've done a lot of study on the stuff going on in Marine with Dance and in Feast, and it's a lot more interesting than I probably gave it credit for at the beginning. But it's, you know, I think that's where the criticisms of, of the books begin, because uh, everyone agrees that the first three are like rip, rip, roaring yarns. Yeah. That's just one damn thing after another. And it's very, like, 
this first season is so is is relatively speaking incredibly faithful to the books um hmm. and you know just using dialogue and the situations and it becomes progressively less so because well right you know they're 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 you know they're not working with the text they're working on a bullet point roadmap now yeah and it's also you know the the things that they've changed in the past kind mm-hmm. of mount up yeah and and eventually you can't do certain things the way they're done in the book because the things you did before them yeah preclude that uh do you know so i for a while i was connected to like the the fan edit scene a little bit yep. uh, i was doing some like dvd covers and stuff for those um so there is like a a really active community going in and editing movies and editing shows sure. in like in different ways to see how uh, you know to to make them better or or try to mm-hmm. is that same scene happening with like books do do people do a lot of editing of books to try and like i said last modify them week i know that like the boiled leather podcast put forth a like a right. re re uh, um reordered of a feast and dance and that might help you out a bit dan um if, if you want to investigate that and read that in that suggested chapter order because that puts everything in chronological order um i don't know I don't. Know. I feel like that'd be an easier thing to do. Sure, you're just, at, you're just you don't removing. need video editing skills. But also, I think all that. I think part of it, like the, the the idea that there's fan fiction delegitimizes that because everybody poo poo's fan fiction. Like, oh, it's fucking fan. It's dismissive. Like George right. Martin detests personally fan fiction. Yeah. So it could be that like if your creator has gone on a record saying that fan fiction sucks to the point that I've left my wife with instructions to burn my manuscripts if I die because I don't want anybody else taking it and running with it. Um, which I don't know if that's true, but I just saw like in, in reading around this morning, I saw someone assert that in the latest doom and gloom is George going to finish his book oh, thread. Boy. Um, but if it, but if, if he's kind of antagonistic about that kind of stuff, I could see where the fan community is just not into it as much, but now right. I've never heard of people just, I haven't either. Cause I think that like, it's a, it's a, it's a thin line between reordering text to getting like sense and sensibility and sea monsters or pride and oh, prejudice sure. and yeah. zombies. Right. So it's like, ah, but if you didn't add anything, if you just, you just, just read, just, just redacted and or reordered things. I wonder that, if that would be seen well, I mean, as, that's, that, as offensive. That's a thing. It's a, like an abridged work. Like, you know, right, but it's usually done by version. the author, right? There's not like a fan community going or, out there. And, yeah, or I guess like this and Reader's Digest, don't they have like an editor that does that? Do they? Because they actually have that. They know. have novels that are just, they've taken the boring parts of them out. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, <laughs> and probably the rewritten stuff. stuff. Like, I, I, and that's, I don't know where an abridged work stops and where you start getting into fan fiction where it's like, well, I'm going to paraphrase this conversation. <laughs> right. You know, or I'm going to invent yeah. a new scene where these two characters have a conversation that's going to surmise chapters of plot development. I, because I, I, I've never, I've always been an unabridged kind of guy. And I I'm guess it fucking would be read something. I'm going to read it. it. It would be way easier to just go off the deep end and make a fan fiction thing, right? When it's in text form, because you can recreate that entirely. Yeah. Whereas, whereas video, you don't Star, have actors. Yeah, you, you know, when, have... when you get to, when you're in Star Wars and all of a sudden there's hand puppets, like, whoa, right. this wasn't original. <laughs> right. This shit's not canonical. Uh, yeah. In, in text, it's just, well, did this guy, you know. Yeah, I guess there are reasons for maybe it not being a thing. I was just curious if you mm. had heard of it. Mm, no. Plus, like, book, I, I mean, I don't want to throw shade at my uh, audiovisual brethren because God knows I've got a television podcast empire. But I also think part of it is, like, um, 
I don't know. Like that, like the books still are seen to be, be, be a bit more cultured. And like, is there like, um, the type of people that read books are less likely to be like, fuck with the narrative structure just because they're not satisfied with it. Right. Whereas, you know, even if you esteem a director, very few directors get final cut. And like, you know, a lot of, a lot of what goes on in making the movies excellent and awesome is editing. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, so you're already kind of disrespecting the directors. And taking that shit out of their hand and chopping it up, and then you got the directors. So it's like that's kind of part of that the way that that whole cosmos works. Sure. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's all we got for feedback. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or forums at baldmove.com if you want to get in touch with us. Okay. Well, I guess it's the end of the podcast too. Yeah. Last episode for the season one uh, watch next week. Yeah, and I think. By by that episode, we will know whether or not we're going to continue on with this rewatch or we're going to give it a rest. Um, so and it's, like, stay tuned I, for that announcement. A lot of people were expressing their wishes. Unfortunately, it's not up for deb- debate. Like if, right, it's really we're just uh, the, the, see the what results we can are do. in. This is wildly successful. Like if this yeah. is just a purely numbers and that people want it, this is a no brainer decision. It's more like can we keep the other stuff that we have to do that's also successful and yeah. people like going into our busy season and still do Game of Thrones justice. It's it's not a right. popularity contest because, again, our number one podcast is Game of Thrones. Our number two podcast is the rewatch of Game of Thrones. <laughs> right, at this point, yeah. So, like, one could say <laughs> that uh, we'd be we'd be better off just, just going all in on Game of Thrones, except for then yeah. what do you do after two years? But, um, yeah, it's not... Start it's, it all over. You just do a perpetual rewatch. It's not a popular contest. It's more of can we structurally keep this thing going while we also devote time to the other stuff that we're interested in. Right. And we will have a decision for you by next week. I think we have to. Yeah. Got to let you know what's podcast. going on. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, will there be a podcast next week? <laughs> Tune is like, you know, the <laughs> ultimate cliffhanger. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah, we'll we'll see you guys next week. Yep. Bye-bye.